Mayhem and miniskirts. So, oh, welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or a TV show and then he quizzes another comedian, someone who is a veritable Marvel expert, a comedian that was taught to read, not with a regular book, but with a Marvel comic book. Hello and welcome to the Dark Phoenix Part 2 episode of that MVM cast. Uh, I am your host, I am a uh, comedian and writer and the Marvel expert Rob Holden and this podcast would be nothing if it was just me, it requires that extra spice in the salsa, it's powered by ignorant Mr. Will Preston. Oh, you know, everything's powered by me. Ignorance <laughs> pro- oh, wait, wait, you're powered by ignorance and everything else is powered by you. Yeah. Cog in the machine. Ignorance prevails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are returning to you with part two of our Dark Phoenix saga, which is part four of our overall <laughs> Phoenix saga, which is the fifth episode we are producing on the Marvel animated universe of the X-Men. And we've got some sp- Fantastic stuff that may you may already know by the time this is out. Yeah, there's lots of there's, numbers. There's loads of numbers involved there's, there's, with this. There's some cool, cool, cool stuff that proves that we are the Svengalis of the podcast world, the Nostradamuses of uh, <laughs> of Marvel audio. It's what Quasimodo shows. predicted. <laughs> Sorry, quoting the Sopranos. <laughs> it's what Quasimodo predicted. This is, it's been an intense journey with the Dark Phoenix saga as we dedicate hours and hours and hours to arguably the greatest Marvel comic book story of all time. Coming up on this show, the big impact that the Dark Phoenix comic books and the animated series they had on the world. Who are the rulers of the Skrull and the Kree empires? And what do they have? What is their stake in the Phoenix saga? Who wants the Phoenix dead and why? Both in in and off the page. In the real world, who wants her dead? And in, and in the story world, who wants the dead? Plus, we'll be exploring the major, major changes between the comic books and the cartoon adaptation uh, from the 90s. And going behind the scenes on the original 1980s unreleased story that did not see print and was changed at the last minute. It's big, it's bold, it's exciting. Will has no idea what's coming, which is nope. my favourite, favourite, favourite thing to do. Um, this this has been this has been quite a journey. I'm going to ask you a little bit later on, Will, because I really want to know, because um, we're going to mix things up in this one. We, 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 don't have, we don't have tons of production notes. We don't have tons of behind-the-scenes um, of the of the of the behind the page stuff because we kind of laid the table in part one of the Dark Phoenix saga, and comprised in this episode, there is so much behind the scenes stuff. I really had to make a decision, Will, when I was putting it together. <laughs> if I do all the behind the scenes stuff up front, then it, it kind of loses almost like some of its impact when we get to do the story. So I've chosen to not. I've chosen to layer behind the page in the actual thrust of the main show there are going to be two moments when we come out almost 
almost we come out of the story as we go behind the page but that that was the choice i made and i think it was the right one to do so we're a little bit um a little bit i don't know this is a little bit not quite formatless but the format's a bit different and ever so slightly modified um from the normal episodes because this is just such a big a big chapter and it's our closing chapter um this will be the fourth episode dedicated to Jean Grey and the Phoenix and doing it the correct and proper way. And we teased last show that we get all these all these responses and emails and questions about us doing X-Men the Last Stand. <laughs> you know, I haven't got I haven't got anything definite for you um because there were some hurdles with that. What I will say is this. We're going to create a Kickstart campaign. Right, we're gonna make you prove that you really want it. If you hit a certain a certain amount of cashola uh, that be put down on the virtual table, you can force Will to force me to do an episode on X Men: yes. The Last Stand. But you're gonna have to meet a certain a certain um, a certain cash number. I think we're gonna create that in in December. I think we just had too much on our plate in this episode. And speaking of people with a lot on their plates, Will Preston bouncing around, giggled them. Uh, we're going to see you live. Where can we do that? Well, there's uh, not many because I'm I'm going to Germany at the beginning of December. So there's only there's three three you can see me at, and one that's online. I love that film. What you can see me? No, you now I- you can see me. You can't see me. What's that movie with the fake magicians? Oh, only you can see me. No, now if, if, you're seeing. What's he called? <laughs> Who's seeing me now? No, that's Bruce Willis. What's he called? No, that's look. Who's With all the magicians, now. all the magicians. Look who's seeing me now. No, what's he called? Uh, I was trying to think of another movie <laughs> now about you see ma- me. Now, now you see, see me. I was trying to think of another movie about magicians, and I was like, I literally know no movies about magicians. I think it's the worst topic to ever do for a movie. Um, sorry, magicians. Uh, you can see me next week on Wednesday, twenty fourth. Uh, comedy at the Post Bar, at the Post Bar in Tottenham. Uh, you can see me downstairs at the King's Head on Thursday, twenty fifth, uh, in Crouch End. And Saturday, the twenty seventh, you can see me at the South Kensington Comedy Club in South Kensington. And if you want to see me online uh, on Monday, the twenty ninth, I'm part of Blizzard Comedy. Uh, find them on Facebook. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's not really a comedy night. It's me with other comedians doing some fun games. So that's what we have in store. And that's not the only way that you can see uh, Will Preston and indeed get your Marvel vs. Marvel fix live. Because oh. as we previously announced, <laughs> the live podcast show is coming next year, Sunday, the 6th of February, 2 p.m. in the afternoon, as part of the Leicester Comedy Festival, Marvel vs. Marvel, the live podcast will be at the Edinburgh Arts Centre in Leicester. Will, we're very excited about this, aren't we? Incredibly excited. I mean, it's already a full weekend. I'm doing my show the, the night before. Absolutely, well. yeah. It feels like preparation, so it's a full weekend for me. I mean... It's the Will Preston weekender. It's very the Will Preston weekend. That. And it's, it's, not, it's going to be the second time we meet in person, isn't it? Indeed, before we get to that, tickets have gone on sale 
for Marvel vs. Marvel, the live show. You can get them uh, from the Edinburgh Arts Centre. You can get them from our, uh, our, our site as up as well as well as part of the Leicester Comedy Festival. The link is on our Twitter. Head over to at Marvel Versus and our pinned tweet right at the top has got the link. You can go on there. Tickets are just £5. Be you man or boy or woman or girl or donkey. Um, £5 will get you in to see the show. Um, and if you're a fan of the podcast as well, um, send us a tweet or an email, whatever. And we're going to do, we're going to meet anyone who wants to meet us. We're going to hang out. We're yeah. going to get a drink. Um, especially our subscribers on Patreon. We're going to put some together for those guys. Um, and if anybody else wants to kind of like uh, join in with us and see us as well, we can do that. But this is going to be the live show. Tickets on sale now. You've got between now and February to get them. And the really, tickets are already shifting. So <laughs> don't expect. Uh, don't expect all the tickets to be there the whole time. We don't know what's going to happen. We absolutely have no idea whether uh, whether this is going to sell out or, or or we just have no idea. Um, we're very excited. We're, we're putting all the things together. As announced before, we have got um, the best banjo player in the country, Dan Walsh, Yay. who is going to be uh, with us performing live in person, doing our theme song and Hopefully, a little jingle bits in between as well. And on stage, you're going to get to see him. Um, and uh, we've got something extra for Patreon that I don't think we're announced just yet. Um, so, Marvel vs. Marvel, the live show, Sunday, the 6th of February, 2 p.m. afternoon show, as part of the Leicester Comedy Festival at the Attenborough Arts Centre. Head to at Marvel vs. See our pinned tweet for how you can get hold of tickets. And rather excitingly, Will doesn't know this, in our next episode, um, we're going to have an interview with uh, Dan Nicholas, who is uh, the, the guy at the part of the Leicester Comedy Festival and the Attenborough Arts Centre, who put this all together and got in touch with us and said, Ooh. we want you um, for part of our Leicester Comedy Festival. So we're going to be chatting to, uh, interviewing uh, Dan Nicholas, and we're going to have that for you in our next episode. Um and yes, rather excitingly, uh, as you said, Will, we we it will be the second time we've met. We uh, for, we didn't over. I forget what the number is now. It was on the someone put a social media tweet out for us. Um, it's a lot of episodes and uh, hundreds 75. of hours of content that we've recorded together. And mm. uh, you know, we worked on a comedy show together. Never met in person. Never met in person uh, until the other day when we got together. Um, in my jolly old hometown, and uh, and had some Marvel versus Marvel drinks. We did. Uh, I came up with the wife as well. We we had we had a good old time. We, there were some nice burgers. There was some nice strolling. There was some nice old town <laughs> drinking and strolling and burgers and old town stuff. Yeah, you had to you know shepherd you to the like the six nice places in my town. <laughs> <laughs> we were, you were joking. It was it was very nice. It's one of those occasions where I was like, well, I will break sobriety for this. This will be worth it, and it was. It, I had such a great time. We went into it kind of thinking, oh, we're, we're going to record stuff. We're going to shoot some video. We'll shoot some. We'll record some audio stuff. Like we'll have some bonus content, and like maybe maybe we'll like chat about future plans. And then it all just went out the window, and we just like relaxed and we didn't do any work and i think that was probably for the best yeah it was a lovely time it was uh it was really really cool and uh it's gonna be even better to do this like doing this aren't we we've, we've gotta we've gotta really work out all the ins and outs of, of the live shows we're doing it and put it together i know we're gonna we're do this live in front preparing of for it's gonna be hilarious because i'm not gonna be able to distract you i'm gonna have to be very well behaved <laughs> 
<laughs> You're not going to be able to distract me. What do you normally do to distract me? I go, whoa, engineering. <laughs> the Simpsons. No, that's part of the show. That's I, the show. I know, but i I got to be careful about doing it too much because it could go over the line. Well, we, we do have a time. We've got, we got a time. We've got to hit a time limit and stuff as well. We've got to, you know, the, these episodes run until we're done and then we edit it together and uh, we've we got a time to be in and a time to be out of a theatre. Lots of stuff to um, to think about. Um, lots of stuff. And we're going to have installments for you in every episode and let you know, keep you up to date with what we're doing as we go. Some people out there might have been questioning, well, they might have been questioning why we are dedicating so many episodes to X-Men the Animated Series, a cartoon from the 90s. How is that still relevant today? Well, aside from the fact that we keep letting you know how it changed the landmark, the landscape and it left this indelible mark on entire generations of people that became Marvel fans and discovered, aside from the fact that we keep telling you how the success of this series, you know, not only just through the the, the, the cartoon, but the the, the the action figures, the tie-in, you know, media, the the, the McDonald's toys and all of that, the success led directly to Fox doing the X-Men movie, which, of course, was one of the huge, huge foundation uh, stones laid for the MCU, as we've talked about back in one of our earlier episodes. Like, you want to talk relevance, a huge, 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 exciting, cool-as-anything announcement uh, was made in the in the, in the the last few days mm. um, as we were recording this, of course. Um that basically, basically, kind of, you know, ratifies everything we have said about this series, and 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 all the reasons we keep um, focusing in on this on this incredible series, uh, because, ladies and gentlemen, it's coming back. Yes, you, you've got you've got the official word. Therefore, is well, I've got the official words here. So, Disney Plus Day 2021 is here. It's 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 kicking into high gear with brand new announcements coming out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with what's to come from the streaming service. During Marvel Studios' 2021 Disney Plus Day special, What a Mouthful, which is currently streaming exclusively on Disney Plus, it was announced that X-Men 97 will arrive in 2023. Now, just to let you know, the original series from Marvel Studios explores... Sorry, the, the animated series from Marvel Studios explores new stories in the iconic 90s timeline of the original series, written by executive producer Bo DeMeo, who was a writer-producer for shows like The Witcher and The Originals. Consulting on the new series are original producers and showrunners Eric and Julia Leewald, plus original series director Larry Houston. Those are all really big names. We, we talked about them a huge amount because, of course, when we've talked about the history of the, of the series getting started, we've we've gone back. Eric and Julia Leewald, Larry Houston, I mean, huge, huge creative involvement in the original series uh which ran from 1992 to 1996 i guess that's why this one's going to be called 97 and uh we we can't we can't you know thank eric lewald enough for his incredible book on this entire period of time called previously on x-men which we refer to loads and loads and loads yeah yes uh brad winderbaum sorry was it winderbaum i see that and i i assume it's german so i go winderbaum yeah, but he's American, so it's Brad Widerbam. Brad Winderbum. <laughs> Widerbum. Brad Widestbum, head of streaming television animation at Marvel Studios, said, This is the first X Men title produced by Marvel Studios. What an Stop ab- right there. Yeah, I know. This is a big step, isn't it? Say it again. This is 
The first X-Men title produced by Marvel Studios. Holy crap. This is big stuff. This, 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 I like that. This, they, they say first. As yeah. in this, like saying, hey guys, you think phase four is a bit shaky? Wait till, wait till phase six. Wait, <laughs> 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 it's going to be good. Anyway, uh, what an amazing first step to reintroduce audiences to the X-Men with a look at one of the most pinnacle eras of the X-Men comics which was the 90s. The iconic style that has its roots in Chris Claremont and is celebrated in, celebrated in Jim Lee and then again in the animated series. Over the years, we've met with so many filmmakers who've come in to pitch on various projects. The touchstone that we hear over and over again is X-Men, the animated series. Amazing. Uh, Dana Vasquez Erbehart, the VP of animation at Marvel Studios added, as an animated show, the original X-Men was the forerunner to some amazing action series. Everyone that is making X-Men 97 top down is a fan. On this project, instinctually, we knew exactly what this is. To bring this series forward and pick up that baton and not just keep running at the same pace, but to really elevate. That's the responsibility. I mean... The the, the the noises being made are all things that put you you know kind of at ease, aren't they? Yeah, it's it's just, it sounds like there's a lot of care happening. And to say everyone involved in the project is a fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and and they, they they talked about how the animated series is a touchstone for filmmakers that have come in and, and pitched projects to them. And we have we've certainly found. I mean, I would say it's the most talked about thing we get in 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 letters and emails and correspondence when people talk about their marvel journey the people that we're talking to they i mean if they're of our age anyway they all say oh my first thing was the x-men cartoon or i i remember the x-men cartoon from saturday mornings and stuff you know if they're if they're of an age where they're older than the mcu it seems like it is this series that's their touchstone Exactly. I mean, I, I, I can vouch for it. It's definitely a touchstone for me alongside Batman, the animated series, which I did laugh at, at your story about that with your nephew. You tried to get your nephew to watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, well, it's just... Well, because it is, it's just men in suits. I like um, I like men in suits talking. Yeah, but it's a cartoon, mate. Um, Batman did, the Brave and the Bold, he loves, and, that you know, who can blame him? It's amazing. The Batmobile turns into a big robot that fights you people. It's awesome. Is the Brave and the Bold the future one? Because we had this discussion about what's the... Uh, no, Batman oh. Beyond is the future one. Yep. The Brave and the Bold is the one, it's where Batman kind of has the blue costume, and he works with a different minor DC character in every episode. Oh, that's cool. It's really, really fun and funny and cool. That does sound very good. That sounds like your kind of Batman. Anyway, back to the X-Men. Following a, re- a familiar team with the DNA of the original show, an impactful event in X-Men 97 will launch the reunited X-Men in an all-new chapter that will resonate with fans of the original series. Featuring the voice, the voice talents of the original X-Men, the animated series, cast members including Carl Dodd, Wolverine, Lenore Zan, Rogue, George Buzar, Beast, Alison Seeley-Smith, Storm, Chris Potter, Gambit, Catherine Disher, Jean Grey, Adrian Huff, Nightcrawler, and Christopher Britton, Mr. Sinister, as well as some cast members of the uh, X-Men 97 will reprise the original, original roles with other voicing entirely brand new parts. 
X-Men 97 will also welcome a number of new voices to the cast, including Jennifer Hale. Uh, I don't think we need... I mean, we don't know these people, do we? Do we, we can oh, skip this bit. Thanks well, you for, can read it if you want, but... Well, the I mean, only, I, we don't think we know anyone here. The, well, I do. I know oh, Jenna, okay. Je, Jenna, Jennifer Hale's very prolific in video game voicing. Oh, crack on. Read them she, all, then. No, I've, I've already read Jennifer oh, Hale. I insist! Okay, Anawi Buachi, <laughs> Ray Chase, Matthew Waterson, J.P. Karliak, Holly Chow... Jeff Bennett and Al Locasio. AJ. 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 Sorry, AJ Locasio. I don't know what happened there. My eyes went funny. Uh, the, the biggest takeaway from that is how disappointed I am that uh, Gambit is played by someone called Chris Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mon chéri, I am Chris Potter. Chris Potter got no That's, time uh... to play, chéri. <laughs> <laughs> that is disappointing. That is disappointing. But how awesome is this, Will? This is Are we good... jazzed and excited by this? I mean, we saw social media was aflame in reactions to this. This is. This sounds like this could be better than any attempt to bring the X-Men in the MCU. I think this could actually work way better. Well, you've no idea. Well, <laughs> we I don't know what they're going to do that's, in the MCU. That's, that, that is why I said the word could. <laughs> I use the word could, Rob, uh, st- uh, stressing an element of doubt in my claim. <laughs> it's certainly excellent and really cool yeah. to have um, another project that isn't tied into the MCU and is going to be available, you know, for people to get their hands on with the Disney Plus thing. And and there's so much like Marvel can kind of do some of these things that don't necessarily have to be tied into the MCU. Um, be be excited to get you know another Spider-Man animated project, or maybe maybe there's some kind of live action series that isn't connected to the MCU. There's some stuff they could do. Um, I I I know I enjoy the fact that the MCU is all connected. I'm I'm kind of turned off a little bit by the fact that DC isn't connected seemingly at all, but they can do some of this historical stuff that I think is is kind of fun. Um, but I think aside from anything, the biggest takeaway is just how much it justifies what we've been doing uh, for four episodes on the podcast. I mean, this is part two of the Dark Phoenix saga, uh, and indeed part four of the overall Phoenix saga that we're doing here. So we really have laid the table when it comes to going behind the page and, and, and examining how we got here um, with, with creators like Chris Clement um, and John Byrne. And we do have some major, major uh, behind-the-page things to come in this episode, but I'm going to let them crop up a bit more naturally than I normally do with this bit. We don't need to set a table, and there's some stuff that's going to come up quite naturally as Will takes us through the story. But I just want to spend a little bit of time uh, with uh, a really talented and forthright writer who who thinks and analyzes and critiques kind of uh, movies and and, uh, and 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 literature. Um, a writer and broadcaster called Glenn Weldon, um, who writes a bunch of stuff for NPR. He's a broadcaster on NPR as well, um, National Public Radio in America. And he had some, I thought, really great thoughts on the Dark Phoenix saga as a whole, the comic book series, and I thought that would be something for us to mm. to just uh, hear and uh, as we as we uh, provide a little bit of extra kind of context as we're about to close this chapter off. And Glenn Weldon wrote about this, The Dark Phoenix Saga, arguably superhero comics' most beloved storyline, full of angst and heartbreak and betrayals and tragedy and the kind of truly cosmic stakes that were still rare even for Marvel's superhero comics at the time. 
The Dark Phoenix saga held and holds to this day a powerful grip on comic readers' hearts. It's been reprinted and revisited often, on and off the four-colour page. The 90s animated series faithfully adapted her tragic tale, ensuring its narrative virus would invade a new generation of hosts. Brett Ratner's messy 2006 X-Men The Last Stand watered this down to a thin, nearly unrecognisable gruel flecked <laughs> across its 104-minute running time. In his hammy fists, what was once a stirring saga became hopelessly saggy. <laughs> X-Men properties work to the extent that they do by adopting a mutants-as-metaphor approach to storytelling. Our heroes were, are outcasts, freaks, feared by normal humans, which tease them up quite tidily to serve as symbolic stand-ins for any quote-unquote other you care yes. to name. In the civil rights 60s, the X-Men stories resonated most strongly as racial allegories, but the Dark Phoenix saga was written in the era of the ERA and functions as a broad unmissable feminist metaphor for the struggle of women to achieve and exert control over their own destinies. The Dark Phoenix saga ultimately reveals itself to be about Jean's realisation that she's been the victim of psychic manipulation by two men, the evil mastermind and the well-intentioned Professor Xavier. We learn that Jean's power isn't a result of her losing control exactly, Rather, it stems from her rejecting patriarchal attempts to assume control over her by these two men who wish to channel her power for their own reasons. She rejects them and gets some satisfying nasty revenge on Mastermind while giving Professor X, Cyclops and the rest of the X-Men a kind of cosmic hit-the-bricks. <laughs> Over the top, swing-for-the-fences cosmic storytelling full of purple prose and turgid dialogue and overwrought, gleefully melodramatic excess. In other words, it is quintessential X-Men. You can always uh, drop us a line, get in touch with us, send us your thoughts and feelings on things by sending an email to marvelvsmarvel at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at marvel versus that's how you're going to find out all sorts of more information behind the scenes stuff you can chat with us a little bit send us some thoughts and things we've got people starting their comic book collection or continuing their comic book collection based off of our suggestions king canuck um hot on the trail with that mm. one sending us some great things he's just picked up secret wars and some other uh, cool things that we've recommended over the over the episodes to him um, we love seeing those and hearing from those and, and you'll you'll find lots of links there you know like to how to get tickets for the live show but the place you should be is patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel it's our home it's our it's our website it's our home away from home it's a place where all the fans can congregate all the very best people um, that support us all our supporters are on patreon that's where they send us all their love um, our biggest supporters peter J. Mikey W, Zach, Thomas, we have to send them all the love in the world. Those are the guys that are really pulling the load and uh, making sure the cart is on the tracks. Listen, folks, this is not a fly-by-night. Look, I mean, over 150 hours in total, 78-plus episodes. 
we're here for you twice a month with these yep. with these episodes and you know it's not it's not what you might expect but we go further we dig deeper and we do more whether it's a, a huge look into superman which takes you into the origins of the superhero industry as a whole and and waxes philosophical on what that means and what the secret identity means and what a hero is and means whether we're, we're taking something like spider-verse and we're, we're going through um the history which dates back to a, a video game which affected this that and the other <laughs> and then we finally comes onto the page and it's completely different we're looking at the, the history of the ultimate marvel universe you know whether we've got i mean four episodes to really give the phoenix saga it's due right it's not good enough it's not good enough to to take the the new dark phoenix movie off the shelf an hour and a half or whatever it is do an episode and go home it's not good enough right what we need to do what we had to do what you needed us to do was to go to the animated series which as we have documented, documented. is the most faithful adaptation you can think of step by step you know Episode by episode, beat by beat, lifting, perfectly lifting from the classic 70s and 80s stories and, and, and presenting them in, in a slightly different way. That's how we're going we're gonna to get all the meat off the bone in this jambalaya that is Marvel versus Marvel, <laughs> right? That's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to pick the bone clean with our teeth <laughs> and, and like an elder bird, regurgitate the meaty goodness into your mouths. I've lost my train of thought, but that's what we're doing here, right? It's you know, <laughs> it's an image. What, it's what this podcast is all about. It's all about going deeper and further and hitting the real core to help us all understand the journey that Marvel has been on. You know, not just the nineties. We want to understand the Marvel journey as we've documented. You have to go back to the seventies and look at the Superman movie with Richard Donner and Christopher Reeve yes. and see the impact it had presenting a superhero on the big screen for the first time. Man, we have to go back to how would the Duck, the first Marvel movie, success or failure. We have to look at it, and we do, and we don't spend half an hour laughing about it. I've heard those other podcasts, those other Marvel podcasts, half an hour about how the Duck, laughing at how silly it is. Well, how about we spend over two hours talking about Steve Gerber, one of the most visionary writers in Marvel that created that character. It's very easy for us to not bother with Man-Thing, do a Halloween special episode like we did, dismiss it for not being a real Marvel movie. Well, it is a real Marvel movie. And we should again talk about Steve Gerber, we should talk about the Bronze Age of comics, we should talk about horror and Marvel and how that was in the 70s. We put it all together for you. We, look, I'm... Um, this this I've I've had a pounding headache for for two days straight because of uh, the huge amount of like screen time I've been putting in for this episode and for the the, the bonus episode. Like we put the work in, we put the sweat in. I mean, we we record episodes when we're not feeling good, man. We do it for you. Yeah, this has become a pity party. That's not what it was meant to be. It was meant to be. Look, we're putting the sweat, we're putting the tears, we're putting the hard work, man. And what do you do for us, eh? What do you do for us? Because I know what they do on Patreon. They give, 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 give. They're the top tier. Peter J, Mikey W, Zach Thomas. They're the top, top supporters. And in exchange for those people that really matter, 
They do the right thing. You're not you're not doing the right thing. People that do the right thing, what do they get, Will? What do they get on the first of every month? They get bonus episodes. Bonus Obscure con- Marvel. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you want me more exact than that. Obscure Marvel, which is hilarious. It's the most <laughs> hilarious time I've had since sliced bread. What happened in the last episode of Obscure Marvel, Will? You couldn't keep it together. No, I uh, I mean, okay, anyone who's listened to Obscure Marvel knows that I sometimes lose it a bit. I lose it a bit. <laughs> this one broke me. This one broke me. I can't tell you too much. November's episode broke Will. Obscure Marvel is our spin-off show where every month, for every single person that supports us on Patreon, no matter if it's the the the, the ten pound, the five pound, the three pound, the twenty pound, everyone gets access to Obscure Marvel, where I expose Will to the most ridiculous characters and stories in the Marvel universe, and we have a great time doing that. And that is our way of saying thank you. We've got people on there, you know, that that, that support us with three pounds a month, and they've been doing it for over a year. We love those people. They're doing the right thing. They're really helping us. And we've got people that pay for early access. The early access tier, which means they get these episodes the, the, the week before they're released, three whole days early. And we got guys at the £10 tier. In exchange for £10 tier, you get access to our full-length bonus episodes. Last month, we went into the real spider, the comic book Spider-Verse that is virtually not on the screen in the movie. That incredible Oscar-winning mm. movie which is really all about Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales and stuff. Well, there's a Spider-Verse behind the Spider-Verse, and we spent a a good period of time detailing that long, fantastical story featuring virtually every Spider-Character ever created, except for the one in Broadway, uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Those are the only ones that don't feature, man, and we really nailed that. Yeah. And coming up in November... Very, very shortly, very, very soon, the bonus episode for November, the full-length one, we're going to be going to a little uh, little thematic one. You know, we've got Thanksgiving, and we've had uh, Bonfire Night, Guy Fawkes Night here in the UK, and Thanksgiving over in the States. We're going to be taking a look at a Marvel, Marvel tale set in 1602, the year. Um, we've got international intrigue between the court of king james and queen victoria between the spanish inquisition and between the uh the, the the founders of the new world in america and how that relates to the british empire the spanish inquisition and why well why all of a sudden in the year 1602 in the marvel universe do we have a doctor strange a nick fury <laughs> a peter parker a Charles Xavier. What the hell is going on? Why is the Marvel Universe occurring hundreds and hundreds of years too early? It's a, it's an incredible story written by Neil Gaiman. It's his first story for the Marvel Universe um, by one of the most visionary writers. And we have got that for you in November. That's on the £10 bonus episode tier. You support us, we support you. Don't just consume from us. You've got to do the right thing. You've got to step up. You're getting all these episodes for free. Which is which is a disgusting way to behave, quite frankly. Can't believe you're doing that. <laughs> and not only are you behaving irresponsibly, but you're missing out on even more great, great episodes. So you need to head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Do the right thing. Sort yourself out. You know, account for yourself in this world where content is allegedly free. You need to actually make an effort to make sure it sticks around. 
visit us there get some bonus content do the right thing support us as we head into a massive december where we're going to be dropping five episodes on patreon in december head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel as we approach our concluding chapter of the Dark Phoenix Saga and the whole Phoenix Saga we've been looking at. We have two episodes from the Marvel animated series for you today. Woody P, you're going to take us through in the way that only you can. Are you ready? I am ready. So are we ready then, to press play? Yes, do that. I thought you were going to say press play, and you didn't. So I was going to say press play, and I thought, oh no, that's, that's Will's line. That's my So line. I don't know what to say next. Anyway... Then, Get ready to put your finger on the plastic button <laughs> and do a thing. And press play. There you go. That's there the we go. So part three, the Dark Phoenix. As the Dark Phoenix possesses Jean Grey on the roof of the Inner Circle Club in New York, Scott calls out to Jean, but she cannot hear him. It seems like Jean Grey is gone and all that remains is Phoenix. As the X-Men stand watching helplessly, as well as most of the nearby residents, Scott continues pleading with the entity, with Jean suddenly gaining consciousness for a split second before being enveloped by the Phoenix again. Suddenly the Phoenix blasts the X-Men away from the rooftop, sending the mutant team flying. I suppose at this point, X-Men fights are just the same as kids letting off fireworks in the street. (laughs) <laughs> it's like because people people are going to their windows in this bit we go to the windows and going oh what's happening oh just some mutants again one of oh, them oh it's thursday already thursday Bloody yeah it's just, it's just some mutants in the street no, Don't worry, they'll, they'll, thursday they'll be done in a bit that's about it um also uh, uh how does the dark phoenix first appear in the original stories in a in a huge explosion um so, huge so, explosion. so yeah the, the team have just but we, we, I think we, we talked about it at the end of the last episode. The the team have just beaten the Hellfire Club. Um, Jean has just been terrifying for, for probably the first time, and she just shatters Jason Wingard's mind um, mm. and yeah. alludes to the fact that he has awoken pleasures in her and sensations in her. Very pervy language. It and is pervy. Yeah. Oh, it gets pervier, mate. Yay. And un- un- unrattled things in her while she has this huge power. Um, so that's going on. And she's just essentially, I mean, he's brain dead. Jason Wingard is brain dead at the end of that episode. It's 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 the closest thing to murder without it being murder, right? Yeah. And, and, and Gene Phoenix, whatever, just kind of strolls out of doing that. And Scott is just desperately trying to keep everything on, everything going. He's trying to get the guys in the air, and he's like, "Right, okay." And and they they share this psychic link, Gene and Scott, so he can sense what's going on. And he's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, this is really bad. I've got to get it back to Professor X. I'm going to get the, the plane in the air, and I'm going to fly back to Professor X." But of course, you know, he can hear her thoughts, and she can hear his. And she's just bubbling away with all this kind of dark malevolence. And then she transforms before he can get very far into this brand new costume, this kind of dark red and, and, mm. and, um, and, and gold costume and, and proclaims herself Dark Phoenix. And as she does that, she basically explodes. I mean, she she explodes and destroys the plane in the midair. Ooh, wow. That's, that's a cliffhanger. 
And then that is a cliffhanger, isn't it? This kind of the, the next issue opens with the the X plane exploding in the sky over Manhattan, and the blast is used kind of by the artist to spell out in the sky the title of the issue dark phoenix spell out in fire and smoke very apocalyptic um incredible artwork from from uh, john byrne who is just just in, 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 in this is his peak this and days of future past um and kind of some of the alpha flight stuff incredible artwork um and the X Men are, are are in this explosion, and are basically the the issue starts with them falling to their deaths. Most of them, I'm, I'm sorry, completely unconscious. They survived a plane explosion in midair. Yeah, yeah, because they yeah. are pretty strong. They are pre- they're the kind of people you would ex- you know something would explode, and then they'd be on the floor rubbing their heads, going, "Ooh, that smarts." Is you know well, instead of the normal. Uh, it's not dying. quite. It's not quite clear what what was done. Did did the phoenix just telekinetically take the plane apart? Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's all that yeah. sort of stuff. I do want to reiterate again because we've talked here the language used, um, and it's very clear in the cartoon series. The Dark Phoenix possesses Jean Grey. That's that's what's happening in the cartoon, right? Uh, it, it sometimes Jean Grey gains control of her body before being taken over again okay. by the Dark Phoenix. As I said in in our last episode, yeah, that is not how it is presented in the comic books. Oh no, oh no! And there is this discrepancy between the writer Chris Claremont and the artist and and, and kind of co-writer. I mean, so so the the way the way the the duties work is that John Byrne and Chris Claremont create the plot and the stories together and then chris clement is is writing the the all the all the words and and john Byrne is doing all the drawing right so they are both very and, and clement talked about how they are very very much equal 50 50 partners in creating this story there is a discrepancy as to between the two of them and a disagreement on what is happening with gene john Byrne, chris clement believes that gene gray has been possessed by a cosmic entity called the Phoenix, mm. which has a level of sentience and power. Right. And is kind of corrupting her and making her do stuff. Right, okay. It's not as explicit as it is in the cartoon series, where it's, help me, I'm being possessed, kind of an exorcist thing. Mm. But that's his contention. But John Byrne, there's no language to suggest that whatsoever up to this point. And John Byrne believes that there is no cosmic entity. <laughs> Jean Grey was a mutant who got insane levels of power in this cosmic storm like the Fantastic Four did, mm. and it gave her power on top of power, and it, it, it took her powers to this godlike level. So she became like Nietzsche's Superman. Well, I don't really know about above, that. Above, above all hum- the constraints well, of human morality. Uh, it's possible we could argue that for anyone with powers, really. Uh, but, 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 it, it, it is, it is, yeah. Perhaps this, it is this thing of her insane levels of power is starting to corrupt her. Mm. Um, although, really, it's Jason Wingard because Jean had always been quote unquote a good girl and hadn't sort of done, I don't know, explored certain parts of herself, and Wingard pushed her into wearing 
corsets and whips and he made except he made her believe she was an uh an 18th century racist that owned slaves and then she ran a bondage club and like some weird stuff is going on it's but, like something to put on the cv <laughs> but john byrne is like this is this is this is all gene though this isn't like an evil demon possessed her yeah and nothing they have done this thus far and virtually what they do in the series suggests that gene is some sort of innocent trapped person although that is kind of what chris clement is thinking in his head and i again i would re-emphasize that as, as for the for the for the comic book story just as in the cartoon we talk about it being very clear cut very cut and dry isn't it yeah Gene is possessed. It, it, it's pretty much oh they i think they mentioned the word possession yeah yeah, yeah, 100% they, they, they yeah, yeah they, there is no ambiguity yeah. No, Xavier is saying things like, "You must let Jean go, Phoenix, leave her body, stuff like that." This is going to become very, very important. Yeah, and I'm just trying to get us all prepared. So there we go. Oh, is it there my turn go. to speak? Oh, sorry. <laughs> is sorry. it my turn to speak? Behind, he's a he's a lovely date, guys. Take him out. Love, no, no, no. This is the thing when you you did the secret hand signal, which is you can go now. Uh, and I thought that was let's take a break. I'm like, why are we taking a break? <laughs> nope. This is a this is the reason why you need to spend an hour rehearsing the secret hand signals before each podcast, folks. We have two hand signals. <laughs> To have signals. Uh, I mean, and I got them wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What a shambles of an episode. Anyway, we shall soldier on. <laughs> Back to the story. <laughs> After the team recovers from the blast, Phoenix suddenly flies over and threatens to destroy them all. Storm summons a hurricane against Phoenix, but it barely affects the cosmic entity. As Storm tries a lightning strike, Phoenix absorbs the energy and sends it right back in the X-Men's face. Rogue rips a big tree out of the ground and tries to hit Phoenix with it, but with the blink of an eye, Phoenix turns the tree into solid gold, nearly crushing Rogue and Wolverine beneath its weight. Phoenix wanders out loud while the excitement of battle is lessened when her opponents are so weak. She blows up Gambit and then hurls Beast into the path of one of Cyclops's optic blasts. Uh, correction. Uh, this is Marvel versus Marvel. Cyclops doesn't have optic blast, does he? He has ocular... Re- what are they? Ocular ray beams. Ocul- ocular beams. Ocul- ocular ejaculations. <laughs> Look. Ocular emanations from his ocular regions. Emanations. <laughs> oh, God, it sounds like a rising Victorian medical report. <laughs> anyway, Rogue tries to drain Jean Grey's power through skin contact, but is sent flying back. Bored by how easy the fight is, Phoenix turns to leave, but is stopped by Cyclops, pleading for her to release Jean Grey. Phoenix says she does not understand the concept of love and is about to murder Cyclops when she hesitates. As Scott lies unconscious, Jean takes over and cradles Scott in her arms, saying she loves him no matter what the future holds. She then explodes with fiery power in a display that is felt across the Marvel Universe and flies into space. 
So this is a, uh, another one of those lovely little bits. Uh, so we ha- we see other Marvel heroes. So in this bit, we see Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. We see Doctor Strange, and we see Thor, and Uatu the Watcher as well. Uatu, I think. Well, I he, he's watching me now. Is he going to interrupt? No, he's not allowed. If Hey, Uatu! Uatu's a massive... <laughs> prick <laughs> no i think he can pimp, i think he can pimp slap you i don't think that's getting him that's no 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 that's get that's interfering if he pimp slaps me for calling him out as a big old pervert you galactic pervert <laughs> you cosmic nonce cosmic nonce there's a band name there's it's a band. really it, this isn't the first time like, we saw it in the in the the first set of, of phoenix episodes didn't we um when Phoenix had this power for the first time, we yes. saw Captain Britain, and we saw, I think, probably Doctor Strange again and stuff, and, I, and, and I, Emma Frost. It would it would have been way better if the second Doctor Strange is, if he actually had a speaking bit, and he's like, oh, that bloody thing again, you know, like, as a little callback. <laughs> what, again? A call, what, a call back to him being British? What? No, 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 Doctor Strange, like, you know, like, oh, something that's felt across oh, the world. Oh, exactly, get, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, what's that but signal I was, again? I was thrown by him being, having a, a broad regional accent. I've seen the Vic and Bob <laughs> thing of every celebrity impersonation is with a northern accent. I mean, that that's a deep reach for me to just have on deck. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, uh, Cap- Captain Britain's probably not from Leeds, so... You've only yourself no, to blame. No, he's, 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 he's a soft southerner, really. Well, there is a Captain There is a captain Midlands. No, um, is it Alan Moore? If only. Um, <laughs> it's a Captain yeah. Midlands. Yeah, it's a Captain Midlands, yeah. <laughs> what, he, he, a... only, he was only in two issues and he, ended, he was a very old man uh, who used to be a hero and he came back and he ended up selling his soul to the devil. It was just a throwaway fun comment Cap- in a in a issue of... Um, Captain Britain and MI thirteen. Just that, that to me, that just sounds like Captain Midlands is the mascot of a, a beer that they no longer sell since the eighties. <laughs> Captain Midlands, oh, mild. It'd be a pint of mild. Oh, a pint of mild. Oh, I miss Del- mild. If you're Del- a brewery out there, here's a little word from me: make more mild. Um, yeah, in the comic books, they do do it. This is it. This is again. This is so faithful. There is a scene like this in the comic books where she where she does the fight and she leaves and she kind of explodes with this this fiery power. Um, and it is seen by not the same people though. Doctor Strange definitely sees it and he's like, oh. Um Spider Man, you know, yes. his spider sense is triggered because um, no one quite knows whether that's mystical or not. Or just because spiders have lots of eyes. Um, <laughs> and the other being that senses it is the Silver Surfer. Uh, and he actually has a moment and, and, and several thoughts where he thinks to himself about this is a power like mine and thinks of Phoenix as a kindred spirit, um, but one that is unbalanced. So that is kind of giving you a glimpse into the power levels of, of Phoenix, really. Um, yeah. Well, it is if you're. Uh, oh, oh, and. Um, Yes, uh, the Fantastic the Fantastic Four register it. Uh, Mister Fantastic uh, Reed Richards is like monit- is, It comes up on one of his screens that he's monitoring, and he's like, "Hmm." And um, the thing is in the background. He's been disturbed by the alarm that's gone off, and he's wearing a big fluffy dressing gown. And he's got soap suds on his head because he was in the bath. <laughs> he was in the bath. <laughs> I can't oh, imagine. Stretchel, what's been interrupting me, bat? It's just brilliant. I love the thing. He's the I, best character. Sorry, I can't imagine Thing ever having a bath. And why not? He's made of rocks. 
He is, but it's it the scuffed. He's got he he. But oh, rocks yeah. get dirty. You have to scrub. No, you don't. Only don't silly, scrub. silly, stupid people clean rocks. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I, I I just think it's a waste of time. Anyway, so Dark Phoenix, she immediately starts fighting the X Men like this in the comics, right? Because she's really like, ah, I'm crazy. And powerful. Yeah, yeah. She she just you know it's it, she it, gives it's, them a good old biffin. Um, she is after she things inside her have been awakened by Jason Wingard and the Hellfire Club, ah, and she, okay. she wants to do. She just she is chasing the next high, right? Um, she just immediately starts walloping them all. Scott's dialogue in in his well, it's not dialogue, but his internal thoughts and his thought bubble. Scott Cyclops thinks to himself, Jean's enjoying this. Using her power is turning her on. Acting like the ultimate physical emotional stimulant. Ooh, hello. So it's more of this you know, sensual, pervy stuff. Um, Dark Phoenix. I mean, you you could possibly if we want to go down the feminism route, as we talked about earlier in, 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 in how uh, this could be an allegory for uh, kind of feminist awakening and and um, women having more agency and things like that, it could be seen as kind of an allegory for um, fearing women discovering their own minds about how they feel and sensations and their own desires and their own sexuality yes. and stuff and and oh my word how powerful and dangerous it is if women you know are conscious of their own sexuality and um the very idea it's oh. certainly a way you could interpret the book mm. there's also perhaps you know using her power is turning her on it's 1980 it's entirely possible it didn't mean in a sexual way necessarily yeah, obviously. Does that make sense? It, it could yeah. have been, um, like, you see some older language from the 60s and 70s sometimes, like, that doesn't turn me on, daddy-o, and it just means I don't enjoy that. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it could be a kind of club. It could be what Chris Clement thinks young people say in the club. <laughs> in the club. That doesn't turn me on. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Turn on means it's like, eh, I like it. Yeah, but if you were reading that today... And at any point in the 90s, you'd go, that is 100% about being a horny devil. Nothing, um, nothing wrong with being uh, Satan a horny devil. horny. <laughs> horny Satan. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no... There's a weird bit in this cartoon where Rogue, the super-powered individual, can't hold a thing made of gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, maybe it wasn't gold. Maybe it was like super gold. No, it's definitely gold. In the comic books, it Rogue isn't a member of the X Men at the time. Uh, so what happens is in the comics, it's Colossus who rips up a tree mm. and goes to smack Phoenix with it. Phoenix um, turns his powers off, and he becomes m- no longer made of steel. And then she turns the tree into gold. And it falls back onto him, and it is going to cave in his chest. Um, Wolverine gets kind of in between to help him because he's got the unbreakable bones and everything. But it this this huge gold thing crushes both of them and 
kind of um, keeps them down. Um, yeah, in 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 the in the cartoon, they haven't got Colossus, and they, they've got Rogue, so they do that without even a line of dialogue. Where where I don't know, Rogue says, "My powers, uh, she's a turn them off." I do declare <laughs> um, <laughs> with that little squeal she does. Yeah, so she's just that that little squeal in her voice when she speaks. Yeah. So she's just suddenly, I don't know, not strong enough to hold some gold. Um, Women, yeah, stop holding gold. <laughs> so <laughs> Phoenix wipes the floor with them uh, in the comics, and yeah. and then yeah, she does she does take off, and she kind of says she doesn't kill them. Um, she's she gets but she's she's a cat playing with mice. She yeah. gets bored, and then it is very much um, I'm off. I, I've de- defeating you that severs all my earthly ties i have no connection to this planet anymore okay so back to the story in space phoenix flies across the solar system before disappearing in a space warp elsewhere in space shiar picks up a disturbance from phoenix suddenly emerging before plunging itself into the sun the ship detects that the phoenix is feeding on the sun and escapes the impending explosion of the dying star that destroys the star system. They make the brave choice of attempting to destroy the Phoenix before it can feed again, but after a fierce battle, Phoenix disappears. The incident is brought to the attention of Lilandra, now Empress of the Shi'ar, who says that their worst nightmare has happened. This sounds like Galactus-level stuff, though, doesn't it? Like, does anything like this happen in the original story, or is that like you know Galactus's territory? Because eating a sun is sorry. I, I'm just thinking the Alan Partridge bit now. It's About hotter than the, the sun. It's hotter oh, than okay. the sun. <laughs> um, this is our first major, mm. major, major change. Yes, Phoenix does eat a sun, a, a star. Um, causing it to go supernova. But it is not an uninhabited solar system. It's not an um, uninhabited solar system. No. In in the okay. cartoon, yeah, the star explodes and destroys the whole solar system. And it's, and it's just a bunch of rocks. In the comic books, she kills a planet. Oh, dear. A whole planet. Mm. Um, and I'll... I'll, I'll take you to that moment now orbiting the star is a system of 11 planets the fourth is inhabited by an ancient peace-loving civilization oh hello on the planetary day side they see the light first the awful light of armageddon filling the sky from horizon to horizon 10 minutes after leaving the murdered star many who see this light the last thing they will ever see are confused frightened a very few who realise at once what has happened have time to curse cruel fate or make their peace with their god, and then they all die. Following the light at a comparative snail's place, pace comes the heat flare. The instant it hits the atmosphere, the oceans on the day side of the planet boil away. The steam and superheated air swirling around the globe in a flaming shockwave that obliterates all in its path. Those few awake on the night side are treated to a spectacular once-in-a-lifetime aurora borealis before death claims them. But half the world dies in its sleep. They are the lucky ones. 
and in the centre of the supernova she created, Dark Phoenix thrills to the absolute power that is hers. She is in ecstasy, yet she knows this is only the beginning. She craves ultimate sensation. Okay. Bloody hell. So, I mean, how do you respond to that? That is horrible. The huge shift is that in the comics, the Dark Phoenix kills a whole planet of Ooh. innocent people. Billions of lives destroyed, mm. killed. The, 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 the Shi'ar ship that sees her, it immediately makes its report to Lalandra, but while it's reporting... Phoenix kills the whole ship of the Shi'ar as well, murders them all, and then flies off into space. And again, to reiterate, nothing in the comics to this point have made it apparent or clear or even suggested, really, that this is something possessing Jean Grey. That's frightening. This from John Byrne, the create one half of the creator's perspective, this is Jean Grey with incredible levels of power who has started to become malevolent and evil and has just committed genocide. But one way or another, yeah, the huge difference is the Dark Phoenix is soaked in blood. She is she is she is you know, Galactus level killer now and that's a big difference in our in our in our two stories i mean when galactus uh you know has it has his has his elevensies of of a planet i mean it's never that horrible is it it's not that level of horribleness it's just he eats a planet well he doesn't revel in it no he's he's because he, because for him it's dinner i mean it's dinner who, who revels at dinner mm-hmm. well, i i must admit i revel at dinner <laughs> I'm a big dinner reveler. Um yeah, it's the it's the language that Clement uses is really unsettling. She writhes in ecstasy in the heart of a dying stone and she 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 can see this planet. The fact that it describes how the planet is destroyed and how the seas boil and the steam kills everyone but, 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 and but, shoots around and But the writhing of ecstasy I know it's inappropriate, but it just adds this weird minor level of horniness to it yeah 100 <laughs> it's like ooh. It, she is she is the dark phoenix is getting off on genocide i mean it's really hard to keep up that habit really isn't it <laughs> well yeah uh, and and she admits that that she wants to keep get you know like any addict yeah. This isn't enough. I need a bigger high and a bigger high. Um, and she's thinking about the Mcran crystal that she, that the Phoenix was, you know, when she first, when the Phoenix kind of nearly sacrificed her life and saved the whole galaxy. It was to repair the Mcran crystal and stop the whole universe from dying. And she thinks in this moment, how much exciting it would be to eat the Mcran crystal and <laughs> destroy all of reality. To be fair, though. If I had superpowers like that, I would definitely eat the M-Cran crystal just to see what would happen. Well, you know what will happen. The whole reality will be destroyed. Okay, I want to see what happens when reality is destroyed. Cause- yeah, 
I'm not sure we should let you have a car. <laughs> <laughs> what, car's a gateway drug to I'm just genocide. saying, base-level Willy P with li- very little power has just admitted he wouldn't mind destroying all of reality if he had the power to do so. Just imagining me Maybe let's the wheel not let you have a car. Home. Maybe let's stick with a bicycle. I'm going to be behind the wheel of my car in the N25 going, oh, I wonder what would go, happen if I destroyed I wonder what even reality. if I just ploughed through people. I mean... <laughs> What would happen? What would happen? <laughs> would I be writhing in ecstasy if I did that? I don't know, but I'm going to bloody find out. <laughs> oh, we're going dark on this Dark Phoenix episode, folks. Yep. Dark, dark. Willy P. <laughs> Except it's... The Dark Willy P saga. It's really... Dis- don't give him power. It's really disappointing, so I don't really have a superpower and I'm captured really quickly. <laughs> I'm apprehended really quickly by the police. It's just you in a dressing gown in your pants. Well, like- what would happen? <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, yeah, let's, let's move, move on. on. Let's move on. No hand signals. Back to the story. <laughs> At the mansion, Charles tells the team that Jean Grey no longer exists as she has been overwhelmed by the phoenix... There is no way to save Jean unless the phoenix leaves her body. Suddenly, Scott has a painful psychic reaction. The phoenix is coming back. In the solar system, the phoenix speeds towards Earth. Scott believes that Jean has some control over phoenix, as despite the entity's immense power, it has never used it to kill the X-Men. Beast jumps on the idea and theorises that a mnemonic scrambling device that would temporarily give Jean control uh, and call, and cause Phoenix to leave her. So I wonder why she, I did wonder why she didn't kill them immediately, but then I was then I thought it was because they were working in the confines of a cartoon, and if she killed them immediately, there would be no more cartoon. Yeah, but they don't. Well, I mean that is that can never be a reason. Mm. That 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 is a reason for a writer to come up with a reason. It's yeah. not a storyline reason. It's um, it, it, it's, it's, it, it happens in the comic book as well, where um, where she doesn't she doesn't you know she she defeats the X Men and flies off. And Scott you know Scott theorizes again that that like she can't do it. He's like there's there's still yeah she's still the Jean Grey I know to some extent. But then the um, the kind of the language written about the Dark Phoenix is that she's kind of bored at the idea of fighting a mutant is very boring to her. Um, she doesn't really want to. Have, she's just eaten a sun. She doesn't really have the time or the inclination to fight mutants or kill. It'd be like stepping on ants, you know. You know, a big game yeah. hunter doesn't want to step on an ant. He wants to do something awful to an elephant. No, that's what you make. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So back to the story. Beast manages to build a prototype of the Scrambler and says they'll need a test subject. Elsewhere, Scott feels psychic another psychic presence of Jean from somewhere with an emotional past with a lot of memories. Outside Jean's childhood home, Phoenix lands and enters the house looking for her parents. She comes across her cat, Prometheus, but he hisses at her and runs away. In her childhood bedroom, Jean is overcome with emotion. Suddenly, gonna interrupt there. Going to interrupt there in the childhood bedroom. Uh, she picks up a childhood cuddly toy and hugs it and kisses it. Do you notice what it was? It was a troll doll. But it had how many eyes? Three. One eye. It was a cyclops. Oh, is that an in joke? Well, it must be. 
Yeah. Oh, is that an in-joke? How dare they? That's the lowest form of (laughs) humour. The knowing nods that people in the the private joke know. That's the worst. That's the neat neat thing to to bring up. I I think it'd be like, oh, did did trolls have one eye? Or is this some kind of weird copyright thing where they're allowed to use the likeness of a troll doll as long as it's not entirely accurate? I don't think trolls aren't copyrighted. They never never, never used to be. Yeah, because they probably are like, now. They're a Marvel. They're, they're a Hollywood movie, but they they were just like trolls. They wouldn't have thing, were they? Do you remember the troll trolls at the end of your pencil? Absolutely, yeah. yeah that, that was a thing in school. We were kids in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, yeah. I used to have one. You'd have a troll doll. You stick the pencil somewhere. It was... I had them. I never knew why. I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't enjoy them. I didn't like them. They got in the way. I didn't like the hair. The hair tickled your your face or your nose when you wrote. It was crap. <laughs> but I had them because they were inoffensive, and I think like you know, adults would buy them for kids and stuff. And I, I guess it was something to distract you from actually having to learn. Yeah, that and Rugrats pencil toppers as well was the other one I remember. Uh, I was a bit too. I was I felt like I was a bit too old for that. I mean, I watched Rugrats, but I don't think I would have. Had Rugrats paraphernalia. I, I watch Rugrats, but in a limited capacity. <laughs> no, I just I don't think I would have gone. All right, guys, check out my Rugrats toy. It's on the end of my pencil because <laughs> that was very much in the nineties for me. It that felt well, incredibly, think? incredibly nineties. Yeah, trolls were felt like they were an eighties thing. I was, I was at, I was at, oh, I was at little little school with trolls. I think. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, back to the story. Uh, after you've done reminiscing about bloody trolls. Uh, suddenly outside, a car pulls up, her father's car. Rushing downstairs to meet her father, the X-Men peek around from their hiding place in the kitchen alongside Jean's parents in their dressing gowns. Just the- going to interrupt again. <laughs> I'm never going like, to do we talked this. About, we've talked about how horny and pervy the comic book is. Oh, great. And there's, n- there's virtually none of that in the cartoon, although I must admit... In the cartoon at this moment, Jean is running around saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! That's probably as pervy and horny as it gets. Yeah, I, I, that, that did uh, light up an alarm in my head. Uh, so <laughs> I was about to say, I thought this bit, you were going to say this bit is going to be pervy in the comics. So I was like, how is this going to be pervy? No. No, good. Anyway, the, the car is a psychic distraction implanted by Charles, which gives Gambit enough time to use the scramble on Jean. As the Scrambler starts doing its work, the Phoenix gains control again and overloads the Scrambler. So I like the idea. I love the idea, though, of their parents peeping around their bathrobes like they got there in the nick of time. Like, there's a yeah, nice little yeah. detail. It, yeah, it's um, again, it's 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 very very faithful. Um, when Jean, when when we see her her, her parents, they are in their bathrobes. Um, their dressing gowns, they've just been woken up in the middle of the night. I'd like to see the thing in his bathrobe just pop out as well. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's an in-joke. We're not allowed those because they're the lowest form of humour. <laughs> don't say that. I, don't say that to me. I'm not the one that said... You're the one that said something about in-jokes. Oh, no, no, I know. I was talking... <laughs> I, I was reiterating Oh, you were talking to yourself. It's the way rule. you said, so sorry. I was like, I didn't... No, 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 no. <laughs> the way I said it was more at myself. That, uh, sorry, didn't that wasn't... didn't feel like it. That wasn't Point a big finger at yourself next time you do that. I'm going to do that, pretend I'm a wrestler. Yes. Yeah, look at me. I'm going to... What? Punt. You know when they pose and do all that and they point at themselves? No wrestler has ever done that. I'm no, going to find ever. a picture of Hulk Hogan pointing at himself. 
Sure. Sure. Hey, I proved my point. Yeah, but it wasn't much of a point, Will. Anyway, so in the comic books, I take it Phoenix has time out to go visit her childhood home, as it happened in the other two film adaptations. I assume this is a big moment. Does it? Ah. It's not a big... I mean, I guess it has some emotional resonance. She She does go back to the home. It doesn't really... It's not clear. It doesn't clearly explain why. She does this thing of saying, I've cut all ties with Earth. She flies off. She commits a bit of genocide. Um, and then she flies home and then goes back to her childhood. And she's walking around. It's it's very creepy. It's <laughs> no, certainly very creepy. Um, the way you phrase that just now, all I can think of her is bus- per- bursting through the front door. Mom, Dad, I killed eight billion people. Can I crash at yours for a while until the heat dies down? <laughs> yeah, until the heat death of the universe. Um, it, the... the, the Great artwork again, um, John Byrne and, and and Terry Terry Austin, who's the inker and does an awful lot of the shade work. There's yeah. a, 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 some brilliant, brilliant use of dark colours um, and shading and things with 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 John Byrne. And so it is. It's this creepy. I mean, she is <sighs> Dark Phoenix is crackling with power. Yeah, her her. In, in comic books, when, when characters speak, they have a speech bubble and is just a plain white thing with text on it. D- Phoenix, Dark Phoenix, it, it, it's, it's not a perfect... It's wild and... Her speech bubbles are wild and erratic mm. and they have darker colours in the, in the edges of it um, to let you know that this is not a human anymore. Yeah. And she's kind of stalking around her parents' house in the dead of night where everyone is asleep and she's like looking at photographs and it's like she's trying to make herself feel something or remember something and it's like it's gone and it's not there. It's it's re- it's like imagine a serial, almost like a serial killer coming home and going through their parents' house in the dead of night. That's, that is kind of the feel you get from it. Um, and then her, 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 her family come out, her mom and dad and her sister and she tries she either again it's so well done i think she does start to slip back to being more of her regular self yeah yeah so it's it's edging back but she can read all her family's thoughts all their nasty secrets that they don't want her to know and their hidden desires and their fears their huge fears about her and about mutants in general and stuff um and and she just starts to lash out and, and and get erratic and it does kind of have a feeling of you're not sure these the that her family are safe these you don't feel you don't feel that these that it's a particularly safe situation which is quite you know what do i mean by that i mean i mean that they've kind of um they've made you sufficiently aware of how erratic and dangerous and kind of yes yeah, serial mm. killery yeah. dark phoenix has become maybe you'll turn the page and she murders her family you kind of don't know what's going to happen yes yeah, it's, it's, it's so it's very high like ooh tension at the moment yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah but but also but also quite i mean they've done a good job of in a couple of issues taking a character found a founding x-men character yes. a stan and jack 1960s character you know, one of the original females in Marvel and gone, Jesus, maybe she's going to murder her mom and dad. Yeah. Anyway, back to the story. 
Without a moment to waste, Wolverine tackles Phoenix to the ground and raises his hand to attack her. But just a second later, Jean regains control and pleads with Logan to kill her, making him hesitate. Phoenix quickly gains control again, knocks Wolverine prone and hulls... Sorry, knocks Wolverine... I think I've written prone. Down, I'll just say down. Knocks Wolverine down and hurls his body against a tree. Phoenix overloads the Mind Scrambler and rips it from her head. Once again, possessing all her psychic abilities, Phoenix captures the X-Men in a burning field of telekinetic energy, holding them suspended in midair as she readies to kill them all. Before Phoenix can do anything else, Cyclops arrives and again starts to plead with whatever is left of the human Jean Grey. He tells her that she cannot destroy her friends. So is there anything different about the way this fight goes down in the comic books? Is this how the Dark Phoenix battles the X-Men? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a lot. It feels a lot darker. I don't mean she's not like tearing limbs off and stuff, hmm. but again, the the way that Jean is the Dark Phoenix is drawn here is really something else. Um, there there are some little differences. Um, Wolverine does hesitate, and he hesitates because Phoenix is crying. And begging him to kill her. Yes. Which is just generally unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not clear in this moment if this is, like, sincere mm. or a cruel trick by the Dark Phoenix to screw with Wolverine's feelings to make him feel horrible before she beats him. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of makes sense. In, in the cartoon, it's very clear. The good guy, Jean Grey, gets control and says, you have to stop me. Then the bad Dark Phoenix takes over. In the comic book, like you see what happens, but it is it is not quite clear whether it's a trick. I mean, she's just, a, again, a cat playing with a mouse. You can't do that kind of ambiguity in, a, in a, what is essentially a kid's cartoon. I mean, it would be badass if they did. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because it, it works on two levels. Maybe you could, but, you know. So, the, 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 again, the way Gene is, is kind of presented and drawn in, the, in this fight, the dark colours, the, the, she has these... Dark Phoenix has these blank, soulless eyes. They're just white. Yeah. There's no humanity in them. There's no emotion, you know. And she has this malevolent Cheshire cat grin. Yeah. And she, like snaps her fingers and she's like frozen all the X-Men and she can use the telekinetic power to like twist and contort and can and like squeeze them and, and crush them and and she is reveling. She's very clearly enjoying using her powers, her full powers to like torture and hurt them. And and they're they're completely powerless. It is it's one of the darkest moments um, See, I in, read it, in, in X Men. I just want to read the comics now. <laughs> Not loud. You can't never read the Marvel comics, but you guys out there, you can. And if you stick to the end of the show, I've got my reading list for you. You're a horrible man. You're a. Ho I don't care how many hand signals you do. You're a horrible. Well, just man. We, but it would end the podcast. Don't do this to me. <laughs> do, do you want to end the podcast, Will? I don't. Do you I want also... Marvel versus Marvel to end? Cancel the live show and never do another episode. <laughs>
There's some kind of Greek tragedy about this exact situation <laughs> or philosoph philosoph philosophical thing like that guy who can't push a rock up a hill or something. Sisyphus. Sisyphus. I've always thought you're a bit of a Sisyphus. Because <laughs> <sighs> I'm Southern. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, back to the story. Scott takes Phoenix in his arms and insists that nothing can ever change the love they share. His words manage to reach the human soul of Jean and it looks like she has gained control of her body again but she is suddenly attacked from behind by Professor X. Phoenix takes control again. Phoenix destroys Xavier's hover chair, leaving him immobile on the floor. Charles uses the psychic blast and the two enter the battlefield of the mind, the astral plane. The fight is fierce and Charles takes on a strange armoured appearance as he fights. So this, I this show is full of little Easter eggs for the comics, I imagine. Like, is there anything significant about the way Xavier looks in the astral plane? Yeah, it's really it. I it took me um a little it took me a little minute or two to go. Oh, <laughs> they're doing that for some reason. Yes, it's a lot of significance. Well, not a lot of significance. There is significance. Um, it's a deep pull. Um, so uh, in our first couple of Phoenix episodes that we did, mm. which are taken from the nineteen seventies first appearance of the Phoenix. Do you know there's that period of time where there's an evil version of Charles Xavier projected from his mind? Yes, yes. That I attacks that. the X-Men. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then that all kind of goes away and everything. Um, that comes back. Do you remember in the Ant-Man episode, we talked about the Micronauts? Ah, uh, yes, the Micronauts. Which were going to be like the new Transformers. And they had a tie-in deal with Marvel to do a Micronauts comic book, and there were going to be these like action, these tiny action figures that you could play with. Um, and they were going to have a cartoon series, and then and a comic book, or no, just a comic book series. And the idea of the comic book series was that the action figures were actual size because they were shrunken heroes from the Microverse. Well, the deal got cancelled, and the toys mm -hmm. kind of uh, were around for a little bit. But but Marvel did this, you know, kept publishing this, this comic book for a while, and um, the Micronauts in in their in this period of time where they were quite famous, um, they had a crossover with the X Men. It's a really really good crossover, considering it's a toy tie in set of characters. It's a great crossover, and in the crossover. Um, the evil kind of side, the evil version of uh, astral projection of Charles Xavier, um, it, it never went away, and it, and it kind of comes back and it breaks free from Xavier, and it calls itself the Entity, Ooh. and it's unable to fully manifest in the regular Marvel universe, but the lower kind of planes, the smaller dimensions, the microverse. Is actually uh, where it where it can fully realize itself and become a full physical, powerful, evil person. So it goes there, um, and uh, it dons this powerful psychic armor, like we see that Charles Xavier wear here, and he becomes this horrible tyrant and a conqueror of the microverse, raises up armies and all sorts, and and um, yeah. So a weird little nod to. I mean, and that and that guy does a huge amount of fight, fighting and battling on the astral plane, 
and that is the armor he wears all the time. So yeah, it's a nice little weird nod to the Micronauts. <laughs> <laughs> the Micronauts in the quantum realm, was it we called it? Didn't didn't no, did... you called it whatever you want? It's the microverse. No, didn't we have like a, a argument about it? We may well have done, but the correct is the an, microverse. An argument that most importantly I won. Some weird thing from the movies when the real word is microverse. Fair enough. Anyway, quantum got... realm. Quantum realm sounds. How official. do we know it's? Mi- how do we mean it's tiny? We don't know it's tiny because it's a realm of quantum. Of quantum stuff. doesn't necessarily mean tiny. Ah, you're a lame man. Uh, we reached the last <laughs> bit of episode three. Xavier uses his powers to reach the mind of Jean Grey and call on her powers to help him battle the Phoenix. Xavier and Jean both bind the Phoenix and trap it. Out of the astral plane, the two collapse in the street, with Charles saying that the Phoenix is contained for now. A fully conscious Jean and Scott kiss, but a second later... Just to interrupt there, weirdly in the comics, when this takes place and and, and Xavier kind of beats... kind of gets Jean's out and beats the Phoenix and and the Dark Phoenix kind of goes. Like, Jean turns back to being Jean. She's completely naked. And, like, someone runs over and brings her, like, a cloak or a rub or something. And her thought bubble is, oh, my God, my dad's looking at me and blushing. Like, absolutely no need for this to be in the comic, Chris Clement. (laughs) We don't need it to... If you want to, you know, if you want when her powers go away, she's naked... Fine, I guess. Just have someone put a bit of clothing round her and no one... Don't draw attention to the fact that her dad is looking at her naked body and blushing. I don't... We don't... It's a very unnecessary detail. Yeah, that is a bit odd. Just... In, in, a, in a story that has a lot of unnecessary perviness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. It just reminded me of the Fantastic Four when uh, she uses... Uh, Susan Storm uses her powers for the first time and then it's like... Yes, we wanted to see Jessica Alba in her pants. Nothing that, wrong with that, really. Nothing though, wrong with that. About it's, it. it's, it's kind it, of perfectly. It's it's necessary for the narrative. I know it's necessary for the narrative, but it's like yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, knew yeah, there was yeah. a character guy. development, and yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's you, you know what I think. Anyway, a fully conscious Gene and Scott kiss, but a second later, a huge Shi'ar ship appears over their heads. Lilandra and her Imperial Guard materialise before the X-Men and proclaim that for the sake of all that live, Jean Grey must perish. Wow. Uh, a lot in that one episode. Yeah. Um, what, what Reactions and thoughts, Will, um, from when you watched this, the, uh, the, the, the episode three, Dark Phoenix. This is pretty good. I really love the way they moved away from lads dressed as Abraham Lincoln. No, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. The Hellfire Club. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was like, yay, yeah. we're, we're not going to see any more lads with ponytails and bows in their hair. It's like, yeah. great. I, it's, now we're getting to the meat. Of, this is what I call the meat of the story. Like, the red thing before was the catalyst. Now we're getting to the meat of it. Yeah, now we've actually got, you know, Dark Phoenix. Yeah, um, we had two, two episodes of building to it, really, didn't we? Exactly. Um, we've got, we've and, got uh, that. But uh, yeah, I I liked the the little twist at the end because you're like, oh good, this has been sorted, and then you forgot about the Shi'ar Empire it has knowledge of this. It's like, oh wait, they're coming now because it's the part of their responsibility to stop her boiling a planet alive again. Well, 
in the cartoon, the cartoon it's, obviously it's not it's not that is it it's just it's uh, busy bodies she she uh, she had the old sun munchies she had the sun munchies <laughs> she had the sun munchies we're on now to the final episodic part of the of the animated series dark phoenix saga and the phoenix tale in general it is part 4 it is the fate of the phoenix will take it away so part 4 the fate of the phoenix Outside Jean Grey's home, Lilandra tells her guards to advance on Jean. The X-Men protect their teammate before Charles probes Lilandra's mind for an ancient Shi'ar law. Trial by combat for Jean's life. The team are beamed aboard Lilandra's ship and taken into space. The X-Men stand before Lilandra and a group council of dozens of aliens from different worlds, all sitting in judgement over the threat of the Dark Phoenix. Lilandra tells the X-Men of the horrors that they saw the Phoenix commit and states that her hunger will only continue to grow. Soon, single stars won't be enough to sate her appetite. She could destroy all life in the universe. Scott says that Charles has cured Jean, but Jean herself argues that the Phoenix might return. It's quite a moment of serendipity here, you know. In what way? I wrote it down. Uh-huh. I forgot why it's a moment. <laughs> oh, cool. I, I, thought, I thought it was just, you know, it's just... It, it, it all happens outside of Jean's home. Everything happens oh, outside. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, if we found her outside, outside her house, basically. Yeah, I somehow don't think the Shi'i, the Shi'i Empire are pursuing her like the local police officers. I don't think they're going to her home and waiting for her. I think they're tracking the immense power signals of the Phoenix. But, I I mean, there's nothing to say that that's what's happening. But, yeah. Yeah. Serendipity, indeed. <laughs> Serendipity. That's one of my favourite favorite words, serendipity. But what's, it, what's it, but what's it referring to here? It's a chance encounter. I know they're trying to find her. Where's the chance encounter? The fact it's outside her parents' house. And it's not a chance encounter. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll put it on my list of stupid phrases along with dare. No, no. The, the, the phrase, the phrase makes sense. I just don't. I don't think. I. It, it, if it were to be a chance encounter, the Shi'ar must have not been looking for the Phoenix, and then they accidentally bump into her somehow. Look, I I know you like <laughs> words. Yeah, I, I'm allowed to have fun with words, even if I'm not qualified to use them. I'm allowed to have fun <laughs> with words, Rob. Allowed to just say things, Rob, and not be questioned on them. Yeah, stop trying what, to who's in that? Me. Who's in that? Who's in that movie? Um, that movie. Serendipity. It's John. It's Mr. John Cusack, isn't it? And somebody. I don't know that one. And and he is meets it a this light-hearted romantic absolute, comedy. Absolute. Yeah, he meets this absolute nutter of a woman who is like, "Oh, I can only date someone if the universe tells me to date them." So. I'm going to like write my number down in like a book or something or a or a or a twenty pound note or something and if you get it <laughs> in a week somehow it's this really it's a lot of nonsense. It's like he's that... been in some very, very, very good films that man and also some stomach churners. But that but that one just makes me think that that whole premise makes me think, oh, just get back on Tinder. <laughs> just get just just, just throw well, that it one was back. the nineties. It was uh, you had to like record a video 
and send it to a to a dating agency. You had to you had to a write love, off, and they would send you videos. A love bureau. I am told. I am told. <laughs> I am told. Anyway, is this where the original Dark Phoenix story goes? They go back to the Shi'ar Empire. Yes. Yeah. Um, very much so. Um, and it, it, it brings it full circle, you know. Um, although the Shi'ar weren't there at the very beginning. Well, they kind of were, with, yeah, because this, Charles was having all the visions of Lilandra. So they were there right at the start of, of, of the Phoenix story, her, her first beginnings in the 1970s. And then, mm. you know, her, her massive mega moment is saving the Emkran crystal saving the universe from Deken, the mad emperor, yes. and essentially creating a situation where Lalandra, you know, is able to take the throne. Sounds like um, Deken sounds like a really almighty person in Yorkshire. Ah, who owns that pub? Deken. Deken. Deken's pub. Deken's pub. Yeah, so so as soon as as soon as um Xavier you know, puts these circuit breakers in in Jean's mind to keep the Phoenix yes. power at bay. Um, yeah, the X Men, the ship doesn't doesn't like appear over Jean's house. That the, the X Men just immediately teleported away, and they and they find themselves on this huge, this really great. I mean, the the, the next episode um, begins with Uatu. The watcher talking to the audience, you and that's when pervert. you know. That's when you know. Oh, shit's about to get real. Uatu's here. This was still in the days when they only pulled him out for like clutch moments, like really key big things were happening. He's very over. He's become very overused. I feel in 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 recent decades, but back then it was you know not that often that you got a Uatu appearance, and you went ooh. This isn't going to be good. Yes. <laughs> Something mad's going to happen. And then we see this great double-page splash of the X-Men in in this uh, Imperial Dreadnought, the 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 flagship of the of of the Shi'ar fleet and and yes, all, all kind of lots of um gathered representatives because the Shi'ar is 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 like the Roman Empire, so you know, it has lots of 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 absorbed slash conquered worlds and races as part of the empire and lots of different representatives of all the different races and 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 planets are are in this this dreadnought along with uh, with Landra and the imperial guard to kind of watch and 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 stand in judgment over this momentous terrifying moment of a planet a star killer we must deal with this Star Killer! Sorry, it sounds like a Judas Priest song. <laughs> yes. I will carry on with the story. <laughs> Charles is insistent on his challenge, something that Lelandra shouldn't be able to refuse, but the Empress chooses to consult with the Kree and Skrull Empires before accepting it. Now, let's, let's remind ourselves again who the Kree and the Skrull people that Lelandra talks to. Who are they? Anyone well, important? we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have known them. There's, oh, no, no, there's no reason for you to have known them. Oh, sorry, because I, I, I looked at that and went, ah, let's remind ourselves about the Scree and Scree no. people first, shall we? The, the, so they were both green, weren't both, they? They were both green because that's the international sign for alien. There's kind of like a lady wearing a, a green lady with a dodgy chin wearing a cloak. 
she had hair. And then on the other screen, there was a big green face with tentacles coming off it. Yes. Um, like a giant face. So, um, the, the the female was Arkil uh, 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 or Rekil, um, the Scroll Empress, um, who had... She is an interesting one. So, so she is the daughter of a previous emperor of the Skrull Empire. Um, but then her father was killed by uh, Dorek, the, one of the Doreks, there's a few of them. Um, one of the Doreks kills her father, um, so he becomes emperor of the Skrull Empire and to kind of um, secure his claim, cement his position and hold on the throne, he marries the uh, uh, Urkil, Rukil, mm. who was the previous emperor's daughter. So it's kind of a continuation of the bloodline. Then there's this huge war between the. This is all this is all background stuff, but it's fun background stuff. There's a lot of really kind of cool Game of Thrones style fantasy stuff in Marvel space things, and it's always fun. So there's a big war between the Skrulls and Xandar, who, which is the home of the the Novas, who are kind of like space policemen. Mm. Um, and uh, Emperor Dorek is like. Oh, I'm a bit too. He's like his, <laughs> his like imperial flagship is like Whoa, a bit too fight uh, close to all the fighting. A little too close to the front. Think we need to uh, re- just just pull ourselves back a little bit as everyone else goes forward a little bit. And you know his wife Urkil is you know she she her father was a hard hard warrior emperor. She's from a hard warrior emperor family, and she is absolutely <laughs> disgusted by her husband, the new emperor's cowardice. So she shoots him in the back, oh, and then God. takes control of the Skrull Empire. She's like, there will not after after my father and all of that, there will not be a coward on the throne. So that's how she takes control of the um, of the Skrull Empire. That's incredible. Although she does. Um, like not surrender, but she does end that war. She doesn't like, and onwards to victory. She's like quietly, like we're just gonna withdraw from this. <laughs> um, so that's her, and 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 she's the the very yeah the scroll or a deceptive, duplicitous, deceptive kind of race, but they're also very warlike. The dude with all the tentacles is Supremor. The supreme intelligence, um, one of the honestly best cosmic characters. Um, he uh, was very pleased with Supreme or the Supreme Intelligence. Because what should we? What name should we call it with Supreme being Supreme? Or <laughs> it's like The Simpsons. It's like your mother's been enslaved by a monster who's forced her to gambling. I call him Gamblor. <laughs> I, it's a pretty good name, but yeah, I okay. I think it's a silly. I think it's a silly placeholder name. Well, it was 1960s, and they're writing comics about space people. I mean, what do you want? I know, what com- do you want, Jeff? Well, that's why Supremo eventually they kind of stop calling him Supremo, and they start to call it the Supreme Intelligence rather than Supremo. That sounds way better. Um, 
he, he's uh, we go back to the 1960s there's a Stan and Jack character from the Fantastic Four um, he's he's actually he's actually kind of a supercomputer but but an organic supercomputer um, he is a giant head with tentacles in a huge huge vat um, but it's not a real person or a real creature although it kind of is yeah it's an organic supercomputer and it's composed and consisted of all the greatest minds of the Cree Empire over the last thousands and thousands of years. They have taken all of their dead minds and used it to create this composite being, um, the Supreme Intelligence. And it... it, 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 it okay, so the Skrulls build a superweapon, Will. Yes. And the superweapon they build is the Cosmic Cube. Which ah. is also known to us as the Tesseract, and the the Cree see that as a huge act of aggression. That is a ma- that is like building, you know, Nukes. A, a billion nuclear weapons. Oh, a billion nuclear. Well, because it, it can change reality. Will <laughs> it can grant wishes? It's a um, little wish nuke. So they build their own super weapon yeah. to counteract that. And what they do is they create this. This incredible um, super computer, which is becomes their leader, um, and it's it's the supreme intelligence's kind of like only purpose is to further the development of the Cree race at any cost. There's more to get into, but it's probably best saved for when we do, I guess, Captain Marvel or something, because supreme intelligence is banging. Um, that's, that's such. A- does sound cool. A great character. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I, but I have been watching the original series of Star Trek, and it does sound like they did. They, they got it from there somewhere. I, I don't know, man. 1967. Uh, we're talking about Supreme Intelligence. Um, I, around the same time, then. Maybe, maybe. maybe yeah, me, I, me, I. I don't really. It's possible, but I don't think so. That's fair. Um, they were both. Um, both uh, Rukil and the Supreme Intelligence uh, w- w- were key, key roles in the the Kree Scroll War, um, which the Avengers went through in in the early seventies. So that is kind of the last key cosmic moment in Marvel, sort of. Um, hmm. Well, there's the death of Captain Marvel, I guess, yeah. but that that's not. Um, I think this is yeah. So it really is like the start of the seventies. You have the Kree Scroll War, the Avengers, kind of a big part of, and we get this. This we, we kind of expand the cosmic realm of, of space for the first time. And at the end of the seventies, we we get the the Phoenix and the Shi'ar Empire, and then we get now the Dark Phoenix in the nineteen eighty. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that they are kind of pulled in here and used, and it's 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 it, it's a there's, there seems to be some sort of galactic accord, at least, between the Shi'ar, the Kree, and the Skrull for this one moment. This is how much of a threat Dark Phoenix is. The Kree and the Skrull have been killing and fighting each other since the dawn of freaking time. The Shi'ar are a huge empire that is a threat to both of them, and they're both a threat to it. But to deal with the Dark Phoenix... They all get on a Zoom call and say, <laughs> let's put our heads together on this one, pal. So, okay. yeah. Hey. Right, so back to the story. 
Elsewhere on the ship, Storm talks with Beast about her worries over Jean and the upcoming trial by combat. The rest of the team are just as concerned as to whether they are doing the right thing by letting Jean live, knowing that the power inside her could kill countless billions. Beast and Storm debate back and forth with Beast argument, Beast's argument being that Jean has so far committed no crime and she is being punished for something she may never do. Gambit worries that Jean may be too powerful to live, but Wolverine gives him unwavering loyalty to his friend. This is why this is why I like watching it's like stuff like the X Men. You get ethical decisions being made. Not oh yeah, the, the right kind of ethical decision. This this is the one where you're like both sides have a point. I love it. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's I mean, where are you right now? Where am I in right the, now? In the cartoon series, let's say, mm-hmm. in the cartoon story, whose side are you on in this debate? Are you are you with Lalandra or are you with, I guess, Scott and Xavier? Well, this is the thing. Uh, the bonds of friendship are a very, very uh, uh, tough, rubbery, stretch. No, no. Very tough thing. <laughs> the bonds of friendship are very tough. Porous. But- they're very porous, like a crumpet. <laughs> they're, they're like like a cr- crumpet covered in beans. Uh, <laughs> but she has this almighty, uh, unstable power that will cause uh, much horror to various more friendship circles. We 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 believe. We believe. But I mean, beasts beasts whole thing is like in the cartoon is like, but it hasn't happened yet. Might might never happen. Yeah, the, the, those are the last words of a dying man. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't happened yet. Ah. So so, what's your answer? I think in the cartoon. In the cartoon. It's different to the comic because now you're talking about the comic. I'm like, oh yeah, she's got to die. <laughs> oh, she's, really? She's got to die. She's got to die. Did, uh, hi, everyone. It's Will, the misogynist. Uh, <laughs> she's no, no, no. I, listen, man. I, I think the logical. And he goes, you got to tear off that band aid and tell uh, Miss Nuke Lady that she's really got to die for the for the for the for the good of everything. But in the cartoon. That you think, ah, maybe, maybe, but uh, I'm a bit on the fence in the cartoon. But now you yeah. tell me the comic stuff, I'm like, no, that's horrible. She's definitely, she's behind the line, sucker. <laughs> yeah. She's, she, you know, th- she's, she's, she's committed a crime. Here in the cartoon, we're seeing, oh, she, she might do it. She could easily do it. Bit of property damage. She damaged a. A, a Shi'ar ship, didn't this, she? This is the thing with cartoons. You you, you you can't go beyond property damage. You can't you can't do a good old fashioned murder one. You have to do property <laughs> damage instead and a bit of tumbling. I guess so. It does, I guess so. But that's where I am. That's where I am. The cartoon on the that's fence. good to know. Going forward, we've, we've got more to think of. Is, is that is that is that you? Like where you like reveal? They go, ha ha! You're the you you picked the worst decision, Will. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> oh, he's going to savor this like a good dinner. Uh, okay, so I'm guessing this debate they're having at the moment in the X Men is different than the comics as well. I guess it's a bit. Well, yeah. yeah. There's a, a big revelation. They've all just been. They, they're all get made aware of Jean's genocide as they're on the, as they're on the the Shi'ar ship, and they all go off. Like Beast is like. Um, Beast is angry that Xavier issued this challenge in their name. Right, okay. When 
when none of them have had any time to consider her actions or whether they are like where they stand but Xavier said we're all going to fight for her to keep her alive and Beast is like okay I'm not happy with that Beast's perspective is um, no matter what the crime no matter who the person she she needs a trial it needs to be a fair and honest and a real trial she needs justice of some description so he's kind of in favour of it Um, Angel is really, really hurt. So Angel is an original member of the X-Men, and he's back on the team during this story in the 1980s. Um, And he's... he's, He... The original love triangle in the X-Men was Gene, Scott, and Angel. Yes. uh, Warren Worthington. And, you know, beyond that, although they didn't have a relationship like like Gene and Scott did he's always been very close to Gene as a as a very you know felt a lot of affection for her and he's really kind of heartbroken now because he is like i don't know if i can go and fight for her i don't know if i think this is right i don't i have i am full of doubts and that breaks my heart, and I don't know what to do. I, I always thought I would have fought for Jean until I die, and now I'm thinking, I don't know if I can. Um, Wolverine's perspective is, I, whatever happens, I'm sticking by Jean. Um, he's going to meditate on it. Um Colossus Yeah, what's Colossus say? Remember remember how what a what a beautiful sensitive little soul Colossus is. Oh god, um, don't lead me down this path. Where is this going? Well, it's interesting. Uh, so I'll, I'll Colossus's thoughts are the moment of truth fast approaches. I know Dark Phoenix is evil. I have felt her power, yet I also know Jean Grey. I have felt her love. I owe her my life. Um, To leave Jean to Phoenix's fate now, after having struggled so hard to save her, just, you know, because that's what they just did, Mm. would be a denial of that love and a betrayal I cannot do. Um, So, yeah, but Nightcrawler's thoughts are quite interesting as well. Um,. Nightcrawler's thoughts when he's kind of trying to meditate and prepare for all this. I wish I felt uh, as confident about... So he's pretty confident about his physical... You know, being, going into this fight, he's like, I've got yeah. no doubts about my physical ability. And he and he says, I wish I felt as confident about the reason for this duel. I once thought I would defy the devil himself for Gene. Now, I'm not so sure. As a child in the circus, I knew people who would survive the Holocaust the Nazi death camps. I still cannot forgive the butchers responsible for those atrocities. How then can I forgive Jean? Um, Which is a powerful and solemn uh, thought to bring into things. Um, So the X-Men are all split and no one knows. And no one feels, no one hates Jean, but yeah, there's a lot of 
of stuff banding around. And Nightcrawler has a strong point, and Colossus has some, you know, Colossus won't deny love, but yeah. This reminds me of those, when a video game's done well, when it allows you to have multiple choices and ethical decisions, the kind where you actually pause the game and sit there for 10 minutes going, hmm. And even then you look on the internet going, what happens if I pick this? And you still can't decide. That is a good ethical discussion. There are reasons this is widely considered the greatest Marvel story ever told. Yes. Um, don't get me wrong. The, the 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 language is probably is very dated, and even for its time, there's a lot of purple prose from Chris Claremont. He's a very verbose writer. I love it in places, but man. The way I don't think any other comic that I've ever read or, or heard about ever reaches into you and twists at your heart like Clement and, and particularly Clement and Byrne on on X Men. Um, and I'll I'll leave it there. You'll leave it there because you just make me want to read it. You evil man. <laughs> So, back to the story. On the astral plane, Charles proclaims his love for Lilandra, but argues about keeping Jean alive. Lilandra is unmovable in her position. She has a higher duty to protect her people and the rest of the innocent lives in the universe. On the ship, Scott is coming to terms with Jean's fate with Rogue. After a it's moment- quite, can, I, can I interrupt you again there? Um, I'm sure it's you quite can. interesting to see... Xavier is almost always like the highest moral authority... And the top kind of like um, authority and, and and father figure in 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 so many of these stories that we see, mm. right? Like he's always the one that comes in and is and is like, I have to think of, I have to save as many people as possible. I have to think about this. I have to think. I have to weigh it against that. I, you know, I, I have to make sure the X Men are doing the right thing. It's really interesting and brilliant, I think, to see him in this cartoon and in the comic. On kind of a lower plat platform here. Yes, lower. Yeah, he yeah. he is not like Lalandra has the higher level of responsibility, and he is not the moral authority here. Um, and I just think that's very a very interesting power dynamic, especially again when we're. We, we, we think back to what we said at the very start of, of the episode about there being a lot of kind of allegories for um, for the feminism in the 1980s, the end of the 70s, and uh, female characters and women in the, in the outside world having more agency. Yes. So I thought that was an interesting bit. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. Where was I? Uh, on the ship, well, Scott, I, I, yeah, you, 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 you in the middle ruined of everything. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, on the ship, Scott is coming to terms with Jean's fate with Rogue. After a moment of stressing over her fate, Jean enters the room wearing her original X-Men uniform. Jean is also coming to terms with her continued existence, considering the horror she caused while in full possession of the Phoenix. Jean shows Scott a vision of what it would be like to lose control and ravage the Earth. It is a vision of fire and death. She can imagine losing control again and hurting those she loves, but despite the risk... Scott tells Jean she is worth everything there is. Very emotional decision from Scott here. Very emotional. Yeah, big time. Um, Not necessarily time. the right decision, but very emotional. Yeah. 
Um, I'm I I'm going to issue. A, a, I I I kind of fiddle around with some of your language there, and I try to draw attention to Jean's costume change. I wrote original costume. That's not her original costume. It's her so, most iconic. It's her original um, X Men uniform. No. Oh, no, hello. It's not. Oh, no. Okay. Her, 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 the originally the X Men all wore basically the same outfit. Or the uh, um, yellow hoods, or the yellow mask things. Uh, I think they're. It, it, I don't think they. I mean, the, the gloves and boots are yellow. Maybe they're yellow. Yeah, perhaps they have yellow masks. I can't quite remember. In in the in the nineteen seventies, they kind of graduate, and and they all get kind of stylized individual costumes. And Jean has this little uh, bright green micro dress with a really fantastic yellow mask that is it's like a massive it's like a really big drag disco mask it's gorgeous um yeah and that is she 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 does exact she reverts to exactly that costume on you know here in the uh in the in the uh in the comic book story as well so they they've it has resonance in the comic. It has no resonance whatsoever in the cartoon. I was about to say they never used the original costume. There was one no. episode, apparent one episode I remember watching because I watched the whole thing where they had the original costumes. Like there was like a oh, right, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe when I think maybe when when Iceman, uh, I think yes. I think um, comes because there's an episode where Com- he comes and literally called the Iceman cometh up, cometh of course, which yeah, is a, which is hilarious so it, it, it has no resonance in the, in the cartoon series but they do it because god damn if they're gonna do this this story they're gonna be as faithful as possible no absolutely absolutely also do scott and gene have a debate like this in the original story not not really no um i think this is a this is a, a change that was really really positive i really mm. liked that because we lose in the cartoon the huge consequence and importance of this horrific genocidal crime that Jean's committed. Yeah. Um it, it it really heightens the um the stakes to have to have Jean basically say, look, I'm telling you what's probably gonna happen. Like mm. if I lose control again, I could destroy the whole world, the whole earth. Um so I think that's a really a really positive kind of change. Um they don't have this I mean, Scott does an awful lot of his soul searching on his own, um, an awful lot of thought bubbles as he's thinking to himself, and he's very, very conflicted. Um, mm, I can imagine. As even, I mean, even at this point, as we talked about, Scott is a, a general. He is a leader. He's not quite a leader of a whole kind of people, a species yet. That will come in decades later. But at this time. He is a, a a strong strong leader, and 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 in that from with that mind, he says he he really really understands and has compassion for Lalandra's position. You know, like speaking for you know she's got to do this. He does not have any doubt about like he doesn't have any hard feelings about that. She's got to do this, but and and, and, and at the same time, he has all these doubts and worries about the Dark Phoenix returning. Um, he 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 is afraid. Um, he's afraid that no power can stop her if if the Dark Phoenix does return, and he's angry as well. He has this moment of rage and, and kind of selfish rage and anger, and it and it bubbles up in this thing of like um, like 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 it's just it's not it's not fair, right? 
everything I have done and Jean has done. We've we've saved so many lives. We've saved the world, and now that seemingly counts for nothing in the face of this. And he's like really kind of almost petulant about it. But then pretty quickly after that, he he kind of gets a hold of himself and he's like, you know what? Mm. I bet that's exactly what all those people on that planet thought. This isn't fair. This isn't fair to die for no reason out of nowhere. And so his last kind of thought on, on this soul searching is about how, you know, how unfair it was and how awful it was for all those people to die. Jean enters and they don't really talk too much. She 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 says, you know, something on the lines of it. it you know, I I don't know if I'm worth all of this. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and she doesn't know what to do. But they they kind of resolve that at the end of the day, the she are now coming to kill her. They they have they can't let that happen. Whatever is going to happen in the end, they don't know. But all they can do is kind of like go at the thing in front of them. And the thing in front of them is the Shiara coming to kill G, basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, back to the story. Later, the time for challenge arrives, and the X-Men are being down to some ancient ruins on the moon, which, which has an atmosphere. This is where they battle a team of Lilandra's Imperial Guard. As they fight their way into the ruins... Storm and Gambit almost succumb to a hidden trap and have to fight Earthquake and Starbolt before Rogue distracts the latter and takes him for a ride. Inside the ruins, Wolverine and Beast face off against Manta, Beni and Cecile. Cecil. 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 See, I always thought that was the the incorrect way of pronouncing Cecil. Well, there's... I, I don't man, you guys put R's and words down there. I don't know. I was about to say to if anybody you. knows how to pronounce Cecil, it's a southerner. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask away. Ask away. Bene and Cecile before the former knocks out Logan. Outside, Rogue faces Sybil and Gladiator, with the former battling Rogue as the ruins crumble around them. Who? What shall be your powerful yeah, name? Yeah. Earthquake. And you, Starbolt. And you, Sybil. Sybil. What is it now, Basil? <laughs> there we go. That's uh, that's quite. I, I, ugh, I don't know. It's even the same. It's not. It's not. It's not a, like a really weird spelling, like Bene and Cecile. It's just literally the spelling of the human. Oh, is that right? I don't think I've ever. I can't recall. There's so many of these damn Imperial Guards. Yeah. It's, but I cannot I cannot Sybil. keep their name. They're not they're not ever like aside from Gladiator, they're not like standout important characters. So I mean I remember Smasher. I know Smasher because he's got a kind of a cool design. But... Oh absolutely. But I, I tell you about Gladiator, he really felt like underused here, considering like they made this big deal of him in the Phoenix saga. And it felt like yeah. it felt like, oh, okay, he's just another one of these guys. Okay. He's he's just as powerful as Sybil. Yeah, I mean, I think you could have maybe done this story where it's almost like just Gladiator or Gladiator and one other person maybe who are so powerful they they wipe the floor with the X-Men and that would have kept them at that same level but they want to be very faithful. Yeah. And so, and, and I mean, personally, I love seeing the whole mess of the Imperial Guard just doing all their stuff. 
I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't know why. Because it's very, it's very. Even though they aren't Silver Age, they feel very Silver Age for me because they're because yeah. they're rooted in in. As we talked as we talked about, um, they are kind of like a a nod and a wink to the DC Comics uh, Legion of Superheroes. It does feel very, very very DC yeah. at this point. It does feel that. So, what goes down in the BX Men versus Imperial Guard in the comics? Is it is it the same? Do we get lots of Sybil action? Do we see lots of gladiator? It, 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 it's very, it's very similar. So it all goes down on on what's called the blue area of the moon. The blue area, which, the blue area of the moon in, in which Marvel, is for in, unloading and loading only. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in Marvel, in the Marvel comics, the blue area of the of the moon is this kind of artificial Earth like environment. Yeah, in in what is called the Luther Crater. Yeah, the Luther Crater. Uh, and, the the blue area is first kind of explored, yep. and we first see it in a, in an early nineteen sixties Fantastic Four issue. Um, they discover that the blue area contains the ruins of an alien city. Wow! And also the the citadel and the home of Uatu the Watcher. It's where we first meet him. He lives on the blue area of the moon. Um, it's a really important location in 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 Marvel history and Marvel cosmic history. Really, the 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 ancient ruins of the alien city date back to um, it was kind of, it was the whole atmosphere was was created by the Skrulls um, like a million years ago as a testing site. Test what a, a testing site for they brought alien races to the blue area of the moon and they had them compete. And they rewarded the winners and and kind of punished the losers. Um, and this is where the Cree Scroll War and animosity begins, this, like a million years ago. This sounds like a direct cross between Guantanamo Bay and Fight Club, <laughs> a secret um, area where we make them fight each other. Well, that's the thing; they don't make them fight each other. Oh, they make them argue each other. No, the we'll blue zone I, is the debating zone. The red zones for punching. We'll do the Kree Scroll War as a bonus episode uh, at some point. Cool. What they do is they say, um, "Build the best thing." Here's a bunch <laughs> the of resources. Best thing. Build the best, like whoever creates the most incredible kind of like thing when we return in how many years yeah. is the winner. And the 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 Kree who are. Uh, like a almost a slightly just out of their caves at that point, mm. they're a bunch of like warrior warlike people, and the um, oh god, Katati, the Katati are plant like creatures. So the scrolls come back and they haven't said fight, the Katati have created a incredible idyllic paradise garden because they they are plant creatures and they were able to irrigate the land and create moisture and when they were able to create gorgeous plants trees and and plant life which created animal life and it was incredible and the 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 Cree have like built a city <laughs> they built like <laughs> like 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 trains and and buildings and yeah. the, the electricity and the scrolls go nah but you see the real winner is the garden and the Cree go f this 
and then they build weapons and they murder the scrolls and they murder the Katati and they steal all the scrolls weapons and they steal their alien spaceships and that's how the Kree begin their empire <laughs> by losing a blue pizza competition <laughs> to, a, to a bunch of gardeners. Um, that sounds like uh, D seven in the Big Brother house. They have to see what they can build, or they I'm just to get me out of here, or whatever. The Kree just lose it. They're just like, yeah. you cannot tell me a garden is better. I've built a monorail. It's not. You can't tell me that's not better than a garden. And they just murder everyone and fly away. Anyway, that's the blue area of the moon. The Inhumans also live there for um, a good long period of time. When Earth gets a bit too spicy for them, they they take their their home, their palace, and their home. The the kind of yeah, the whole home city, and they move it to the blue area. There's a pun to be um, had with the grey area of the moon. There's a pun is there, there fun somewhere. to be had? There's, there's a, a pun. pun there's there? a pun. That, you what, know, would like, it, what would it be? It would be what like would the pun ooh, be? There, there's a bit where they're not sure if we call that the grey area. Hey. Terrible. I know. Um, That's why yeah. I don't write one-liners, mate. I don't write one-liners. So the fight is kind of similar. Um, like there's an awful lot of pairing off, and like uh, you, you guys go on. I'm gonna fight this person one on one for a bit. Um, the the problem is the X-Men are outnumbered and overpowered. The Imperial Guard are many. They are varied. Their powers are, are very different. And they fight like a military unit because guess what, Will? Guess what? They're a military unit. <laughs> um, and any time... Sometimes like the X-Men might gain an upper hand on one or two of the Imperial Guard. Mm. And any time that happens... Gladiator comes flying in to just nip it in the bud and end the fight. So he's playing like he's playing every position. He is he is like boom 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 because they have Superman in their fight and he can do that if they want. Um, he want so Wolverine accidentally gets knocked into Uatu's home. Oh, God. Um, and like he's really mean about it. Why well, is he really knocked over his big pile of videotapes? No, he just he he, fight, he 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 gets knocked into it. He doesn't walk in. He gets knocked into it. Yeah, not like through the window into his big pile of videotapes labeled <laughs> Earth, like different gets, years because he's a big pervert. Because he's a big pervert. Big he gets knocked through pervert. some sort of no cosmic nonce through cosmic. some sort of. Energy barrier, and he's in there, and he's like, "Ah, get me out of here! What's going on?" And Uatu's massive face appears on a giant screen, and he's like, "Go away!" And Wolverine is very rude to him. So Uatu, like, um, does this really—he teleports him all across the universe and back in time, and then forward in time. He just teleports him to virtually every spot in existence within a matter of seconds and then kicks him out and Wolverine is just like his senses are shot he's been on this this really incredibly weird very fast like journey through all of creation in the matter of like 10 seconds and he's like dizzy and throwing up um one by one the X-Men are beaten by the Imperial Guard Mm. um Gladiator pummels Colossus um, like beats him unconscious to be kind of the, the last fight. Uh, this is not a fight they were ever going to win. That's very important. They were doomed to begin with. 
The, there is too many Imperial Guards. They are too powerful. And one of them has all the powers of Superman. <laughs> They're just... It was, which was never going to happen. They're done. They're beat. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, back to the story. On board the ship, Charles and Lelandra watch the battle rage on. Lelandra is torn. She wishes to comfort Xavier because she loves him, but says that an empress must be made of steel for her people, even at the cost of her heart. On the moon, Scott protects Jean who has lost telepathic contact with the rest of the team. They're the only ones left, it seems. As Jean sets up a protective field, the two share a moment before heading into battle again. However, as Scott succumbs to a blast, the emotion rages through Jean and the Phoenix awakens again. The Shi'ar ship sets up defensive measures against this and Charles awakens the team and tells them to destroy the Phoenix before she fully re-energizes. There is no other way. So it didn't take long, obviously, for the Dark Phoenix to, to return. Is this how it happened in the original story? Very, very similar. Um, in in the comics, though, it, it feels like it, it doesn't mark a particular passing of time. However, it the appearance of the people, it looks like this battle has been raging for maybe maybe more than one day. Oh, wow. Uh, like, the, the, the rest of the X-Men are done, and it's yeah. just down to Scott and Jean. Um, but you see their clothes are ripped and torn and they are they are bleeding in there they're, they're exhausted um from like battle, battle after battle they are they're constantly running hiding fighting running hiding fighting oh, because they yeah. they were outnumbered before and now there's the entire imperial guard after them um jean it's very clear is mentally exhausted and physically exhausted and um, when she sees Scott, like like happens here, she, Scott gets like cut down by an energy beam. She flips out, and 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 the the Phoenix power or whatever comes through again, which sends everyone into this huge panic. X Men, Imperial Guard, Gladiator, Xavier, Scott—they are all panicking and turning their attention now to stopping Phoenix one way or another. Whatever was happening five seconds ago, we have to like forget about because now the phoenix is back so yeah yeah wow wow so where was i continuing the story as the x-men fight dark phoenix wolverine gets the jump on gene but can't bring himself to do it but scott makes the difficult choice and uses his powers to drop a large chunk of the ruins on her so i take it this how it happens as well this is how uh, this, yeah. how does this turn out? This, um, this 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 bold move from the lover. Xavier has to kind of almost force Scott into attacking the Phoenix again, because <laughs> um, they've just spent all this time trying to trying to save her life. Yeah, um, and then it's very much. I mean, he hit the, again the way that that John Byrne draws Cyclops's face. Bearing in mind, you don't have access to his eyes to help with the depiction of emotion. When you're drawing Cyclops, it has to all be kind of from in the in the mouth and the jaw, doesn't it? Because he has this hood and this and this visor, so you can't you, you can't rely on kind of the top half of the face to help you with the depiction. Yeah. Um, but he's clearly you know wrought and torn and emotional. This is worst nightmare. All of a sudden happening. Um, Wolverine realizes he cannot be the one 
to deliver the killing blow. He can't be in that position in the fight because he hesitated last time and he's like, I will probably hesitate again. Absolutely. We need someone that can kill her and it isn't me. And that's a problem because I am the killer on this team. I'm the guy that does that. He really is. So they do a reverse fastball special. Right. I don't know that term. The fastball special... Um, as I've alluded to before, or talked about before, is when Colossus picks up Wolverine and hurls him like a cannonball, mm. and then Wolverine opens up in midair, puts the claws out, and can do loads of damage. Very effective against like Sentinels, who are very tall. Yeah, Colossus can pick Wolverine up and throw him at the head, or he can throw him over a wall, or he can throw him at whatever, a helicopter or something. Did they do that in the movies? I don't remember. I think they might have done it... I don't know because Colossus is not in him, so I don't really know. He is in them. Um, he is in Deadpool. No, he's he's in he's in the other X Men films. I think he's. In oh, the, it's I think it's they... possible, mate. There's nine bloody million of them, and I can't be I can't be afforded to remember all of it. So, <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry, but it, I, I, I have absolutely no, no idea. There no, are no. nine million X Men movies. Maybe Colossus if, is in a couple may, of them. I'd have no may, idea. Maybe we'd find the answer out don't if we dare. watched Last Stand. Don't you? He's not in Last Stand. He is. He is in Last Stand. He's no, he's in, not. He's in. He's in Days of Future Nobbins. He's actually in X Two and Last Stand. Briefly, anyway. Let's get on with this bit. I'm correct. So, a reverse fastball special can only take place in the a unique, weightless, slightly weightless atmosphere of Ooh, the moon. Hello. So, Wolverine, knowing he can't kill Jean Grey picks Colossus up and throws <laughs> Colossus at her. And Colossus goes into the air and then activates his armoured form mm. and comes down with this like a miss like a fully armoured bullet. Yeah. Fists out at her head to break her neck. Oh God, that's awful. This is the killing blow. Yeah. That the X-Men are delivering and this moment they have a narrow moment for it, and at the last second, Colossus like moves and pulls his punch, and he doesn't. I mean, he he wallops her in the head, but it doesn't. He can't. He can't kill her. Um. So yeah, it, it doesn't quite work. It was the same as when Wolverine tried to kill her before. There's hesitation. There is doubt. There is regret. It's not easy to kill someone you care about. Apparently, I wouldn't. I'm not. That sounded like I knew. I don't know. Now it's sounding like I'm saying this to cover up the fact that I know. Anyway, the X Men can't kill Jean Grey, and she starts to lose control and 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 like beg them to to uh, to kill her. Okay, okay. This is getting serious now. Then, as Jean pleads with Scott to end her suffering. Caught in a perpetual tear between herself and Phoenix, the entity regains control and escapes. But the next moment, Jean asserts control again and uses her telepathic power uh, to give power back to the ship, to Leandra's ship. With no other option, Leandra fires a devastating energy beam at the moon. Jean blasts Scott away and stands in the path of the weapon. As the energy beam hits her, Scott says, Jean says to Scott, part of me will always be with you. This bit reminded me of... Um, the final bit in X-Men, again, X-Men Last Stand. You know when uh, Wolverine actually does kill her? I honestly, mate, I do not. I, I, it's been 
over a decade or more since I've seen that film. Okay, well, she's going all mad, and then everything's deteriorating around her, and Wolverine's struggling to walk at her, and his, his skin's basically being ripped off, Like, but he's regrowing really fast, and he eventually, you know, kills her at the last minute, and it's quite an emotional moment. Utterly, utterly wrong for it to be Wolverine. <laughs> I know I mean, in the movies. In the movies, I guess maybe because they don't. Scott's have been like a like a nothing character in the movies. Well, but, Scott Scott's dead so, yeah. at that point. Yeah, off screen. Yeah, off, off Yeah. So you know, it was it, obviously you know it's, it's wrong, but it, but that, that that moment in itself is actually quite a standout moment. I always thought it was quite a good moment. So is this how the fighting ends in the comics? The X Men won't won't or can't kill her phoenix she has beaten them all she she freezes scott with her powers um and she commits suicide a bit like this yeah Ooh, okay. she 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 activates one of these kind of ancient scroll or kree weapons hidden um around the moon um, she has absolutely frozen Scott in place with the telekinesis, mm. like she like she did, you know, a few episode issues ago. And they do have this this kind of farewell moment. She Scott is like, you, you know, you're not giving us you. What are you doing? You, we we have a choice in this. You you know you you have to you have to let us keep fighting and. Uh, Jean says, the choice was never yours to begin with. I'm scared. I'm hanging on by my fingernails. I can feel the phoenix within me, and part of me welcomes it. Ooh. And as she says this, we, we see this gun kind of like creep up from, from underground and lock on. Um, and, uh, and, and Jean's kind of final words, you want me to fight. I have. I am with all my strength. But I can't forget that I killed an entire world, five billion people, as casually and unthinkingly as you would crumple a piece of paper. I want no more deaths on my conscience. With your way, I'd have to stay completely in control of myself every second of every day for the rest of my immortal life. Maybe I could do it. Hmm. But... If I slipped, even for an instant, if I failed, if even one more person dies at my hands, it's better this way, Scott. Click, quick, clean, final. And then it's the a part of me will always be with you, which we see again here. And then whether she is making it happen or just standing still for it to happen, the the, the energy weapon... I mean, there's no body left. It disintegrates her completely. And Scott is crying and weeping and he's beaten to hell. And he he kind of has a, a, a perspective on this. He's kind of angry with... He's at her kind of what would be her body, but it's just red ash, basically. Oh, God. He says, you planned this, didn't you? From the moment we landed on the moon... You shielded your intentions from me. You could not become Dark Phoenix and remain true to yourself, the Mm. Jean Grey I knew and fell in love with. So you took steps to ensure that if Lalandra couldn't stop you, you do this job yourself. Um, You used your fight with the X-Men to drain you of enough energy to make you vulnerable. And then 
when you were ready. And then he just starts to cry. Oh, wow. So that, yeah. Wow, that's that's harsh. Yeah. So we've reached the final bit of the episode. As Scott is about to fight with Alandra over killing Jean, the phoenix arises yet again without speaking through Jean. To preserve, to, to preserve all that exists, it became one with Jean Grey, but upon discovering emotion, it lost its way. It is now, as it once was, guardian of creation. Phoenix reveals it can revive the dead body of Jean with the life flame of another. Scott and Logan each offer themselves as sacrifice and fight over who will sacrifice themselves to bring Jean back. The X-Men join hands and Phoenix transfers the life energy from them into Jean, saving her life. The Phoenix's time has ended and departs to the stars. The X-Men awaken suddenly in the mansion and Lelandra's ship escapes into deep space, with Charles and Lelandra sharing one last moment via psychic communication. With all this now behind them, Scott puts Jean to bed and kisses her goodnight. Is this how it ends in the comics? No. Oh, no. No. Jean Phoenix, dead. That's it. Properly and completely dead. There, there is there is no body to bring back. There's no lovely moment at the end where all the bad stuff is undone and she springs back to life. She dies and it breaks everyone's hearts. Every, no one is happy about this at the end. And, and this is 1980, right? And I know it is common perhaps now to have the shocking death of a major character absolutely 1980 major superheroes had never died like this before in comic books Mm. captain marvel passed away but he was not a popular character it was not a big mega shocking event it was a good story but nothing like this had happened before characters carried on and remained it it, it 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 it's common now, but but this was not like this is the first one that that's that the reaction to it from the audience, the heartbreak, the sales increase, the attention increase is what basically led to comic book publishers going, oh, it, it's really big and exciting if someone dies. Yeah, a major character. That's the key bit. Jean Grey is an original X Men, a Stan and Jack from the sixties character. She is dead and gone after becoming a monster. Um, mm. the The entire next issue, the entire next issue after this is her funeral. Bloody hell! The entire issue. It, 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 it is Scott and the X-Men thinking about their life as X-Men. It's Scott thinking about his life together with her. Um, everything she did. Uh, Scott is completely broken. He, everyone's crying. Scott quits the team. Bloody he hell. runs off to work on a trawler boat as a fisherman. And he's, it's like he's not coming back. It's um, And that was not the original plan. What was the original plan? Murdering a whole planet was something that the Marvel higher-ups didn't... weren't, like, massively made aware. So... We talked in the last episode of the podcast about how the decision was made when the Phoenix became a bit too powerful... 
that oh we're gonna make we're gonna make it into the villain, the evil villain. Yeah. Because it was causing a lot of problems and it's too powerful, so we'll turn Phoenix into the villain and that'll be an X Men villain and that'll be a thing. Yeah. From interviews with John Byrne and Chris Claremont and 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 the editors and stuff, it seems that when uh, in the middle of doing that, Claremont and Byrne suddenly hated doing that because, in their words, this is Jean Grey. This is a, an, a one of the original kind of like Marvel characters. Making her a permanent bad guy just feels wrong. Yeah. <laughs> But they were like making her evil just feels wrong. But they were caught in the quandary of they are doing it now, right? So they seemed like the plan was to get rid of this Phoenix power and turn her back. But then they have a scene where she kills five billion people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that. Again, split down the middle, there is nothing explicit that says Phoenix is a cosmic entity possessing Jean Grey. So, to the readers reading this, and to John Byrne reading this, and to editors reading this, everyone except maybe Chris Claremont, this is Jean Grey murdering five billion people. Yeah. Because she couldn't, because she, and, and getting excited by it. Yeah, that's the worst bit. And the the, the next issue is the X-Men battling the Imperial Guard, they lose, and then um, the original ending of the story, the Shi'ar burn out all of Jean's powers. They they burn her mind, they burn out all of her abilities, and that gets rid of her ability to become the Phoenix or use Phoenix power. She becomes... It it, it 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 it's it's the stakes are quite high because it said like oh if it's something goes slightly wrong she could be uh, a vegetable she could lose her you know completely yeah. brain dead she becomes powerless and that is the end of that issue Jean Grey is still, like we had here Jean Grey is still alive Marvel editor in chief Jim Shooter sees the art for a finished book. They are days away of publishing where this happens. And he is not happy <laughs> and demands changes be made. And Jim Shooter has said in interviews, having a character destroy an inhabited world with billions of people, wipe out a starship, and then having the powers removed and being just let go on Earth, it seems to me that that's the same as capturing Hitler alive at the end of <laughs> World War Two taking the German army away from him and letting him go live on Long Island. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so it's very problematic. So Jim Shooter says to Chris Claremont, John Byrne, the editor, the whole team, you have got three or four days until we go to print. You do not have time to remake the entire issue. I don't care how you resolve this, these issues that I've just given you, but you need to resolve them and get it done in a few days' time. Um, Clement and Byrne have said a couple of things. So, yeah, they, they turned this book around. They had, like, they had 24 hours to come up with a new ending. 
Mm. And then they had three days for John Byrne to draw it and for Terry Austin to ink it, for it to be coloured, for the book. I mean, they cannot move the publishing date whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And the issue they've got doesn't work. So it stays the same until the last few pages where instead of Jean being saved, she commits suicide and dies and everyone is heartbroken. Um, and they, they, they fully admit this is not an ideal solution. They said that... Uh, so originally, like, Jean was going to survive, but then... Jim Shooter was saying, the editor-in-chief was saying, well, what happens next then? And he's like, oh, well, she survives and she lives on Earth. And he says, if Hitler was living on Long Island without his army, guess what? People with guns would keep showing up to kill him. Yes. Phoenix will, Jean Grey would forever be hunted. Yep. You know, and so then the book becomes entirely about the X-Men having to stop galactic armies from killing Jean Grey. Climate says he had a plan and it was it was building to something, but they they fully they fully 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 sort of say the the issue that was actually published with Jean Grey's death is is miles better than the one they had. Mm-hmm. It has such a stronger emotional resonance and and it's a better conclusion of this of this Dark Phoenix saga. But they both Clement and 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 Byrne say. It was absolutely kind of a mistake to kill off Jean Grey, such an important character. But we didn't have a choice because we couldn't redo the whole issue. Mm. If we could have redone the whole issue, we could maybe have come up with some other way of solving things. But we could only redo a few pages. So the choice then is live or die, and it had to be die. Um, And they tried to give us some agency in that, in that she is not killed. You know, in the yeah. in the cartoon, it's Lalandro who fires in the cart in the comic book. It feels very much it is suicide. She brings it on herself to hopefully atone. Um, for years and years, the X Men and Scott Summers, after this this death stick sticks, they have to move on without Jean Grey. Um, Scott remarries. Sorry, he remarry. He marries someone else. He has a child. Wow. Um, Gene Gene is just dead. Um and that's how it is for several years. And then it changes. And there is more to the Phoenix story, but it exists outside of what we have looked at. And we will do it, but I think the the perhaps the epilogue or the the the, the, the extra bits of the Phoenix story is better served for another day that's when we start to get this idea that ah phoenix is a cosmic entity separate to gene gray let's develop that idea oh yeah i get you another day another day so there we have it there we have it four episodes in total of the full gene gray phoenix saga documenting not just the the, the 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 brilliant adaptation of the of the of the 90s animated series but also you know using that to take us all the way through this seminal seminal series of issues from the 70s and the 80s Chris Claremont and uh, Dave Cockrum and John Byrne and Terry Austin and all those other great wonderful people in in what is with the ending the Dark Phoenix saga 
very arguably the most remembered, the most powerful, the most influential, and perhaps by virtue of that, the greatest Marvel story ever told. Indeed. Willie P, I'm really interested to your your thoughts then. I mean, first perhaps let's maybe um just keep it to what did you think of the of these cartoon episodes, the animated series episodes that you rewatched for us? Uh what did I think of the uh I don't know whether I liked Phoenix, original Phoenix Saga more or not. Wow. There was certainly more to it. I think there's an, an extra episode, I think. Yeah. The thing is, I think, because it was a cartoon aimed at kids, they held back. Because from what you've said in the comics, it seems like there was a lot that was held back. And from what I've seen in, like, say, like, like the Last Stand film and whatnot, there was a bit more in there in terms yeah. of how, how dark it can get. I think if it wasn't held back as much, this would have been way better than, you know, than than the than the original Phoenix Saga. I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to get that whole like no dark's sh- better. Ugh, I understand. I, I no, just, I understand. Yeah, I, just I mean, it does yeah. the the Dark Phoenix Saga without I think lacks a certain resonance and emotional impact when you take away things that we talked about the the the, the genocide. Yes, and the and the suicide at the end. I mean. You are taking away stakes. And you're taking away consequences. There are no consequences at the end of this it's, it, at whatsoever. It, I mean, it's mostly there. The meat's there. It's good, but it feels like its teeth have been removed. I think the the first Phoenix Saga. You're right. Is a lot more of like a really fun jaunt. And there's suddenly Banshee, opera. and then yeah. there's Juggernauts, and then there's the Imperial Guard, and the Shi'ar, and there's a battle in space and stuff. Um, and this, you know, we got the Hellfire Club and all that kind of fun stuff and Dazzler a little bit. But I think when it builds to something and then there's kind of no... There's no impact at the ending, is there, at all? Like, no. not even... I mean, e- e- even if, like, Scott or Wolverine had died to bring her back, there would have been some kind of consequence. As it as it is, everyone holds hands. They do kind of like a Care Bear stare and yeah. she comes back to life. Well, I was thinking more of, like, Tinkerbell from Peter Pan. Yeah. It's like yeah. that, and I'm just like... Yeah, okay. But think, okay. think, uh, try and try and remember um, watching cartoons at that time. You talk about Batman the animated series a yeah. lot. Very much one and done. Occasional two parters. Yeah. yeah. Well, this th- is a sprawling story. Yeah. That takes half a season because you know there are episodes in between that keep referencing it and coming back to what's going on. You know, we we looked at five episodes for the Phoenix Saga and four for the Dark Phoenix Saga. There's stuff in between that keeps the story going, but it, what I mean that had, I don't that had never been done before in in oh. in, in animated storytelling. Oh no no, no know, I, I, of this level Saturday morning cartoons. I was going to say the only other one like, in terms of Batman the animated series, the only time they came close with this was a two parter was where they introduced Two Face because they built up the character of Harvey Dent, right? And then they did the two parter transformation and that had resonance, but it would never be the same resonance as this because this is like yeah, as you're right, it's it we're talking. <sighs> Nine episodes, nine ten yeah, episodes, yeah. Well, you know, including like what all this. So it's like this is a proper saga, while well, that's just a two-parter. And they did it. They did it. They do it in in season three. So you've had two full seasons of of getting to know Jean Grey and, and Scott Summers, uh, and that's that's really important as well. I mean, it's years of a kid's life. Years of a kid's life. Um. Yeah, it's it's 
to, for me, this is this is why the X Men the animated series really, even though I'm I was a comic book reader, it, it it hit me in a different way because it was like this is the first and probably to this day I mean outside of the Marvel the MCU, the first and the only thing I've ever seen that really took ongoing stories. Like, because that I I I don't do terribly well with comic books that are one and done. That it doesn't do much for me. Uh, a story that comes out of nowhere and goes nowhere. I don't mind it. It's okay. But I really, I really, really enjoy the the the, the continuing monthly saga. And this this cartoon series was the first that really did that and and, and put it together um, in a, in a, in a similar way. Yeah. What about your thoughts then on the on the story? I mean, from the comics, the, the story as a oh, whole, I guess. I think the story comics, story from the comics, that, that sounds even more incredible. I mean, what I've I've already said, like it, this sounds the, the uh, cartoon one sounds like it's uh, the story, but with its teeth removed. I genuinely want to read the the Dark Phoenix Saga comics. Yeah, it's uh, it's impressive. It's impressive stuff, and I, uh, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to a little bit more when we do the, tell the reading list. Um, favorite piece of trivia from from uh, our episode today, Will? Oh God, I'm my mind's going blank. Um, I can't think of anything funny. I can't think of anything. <laughs> any, uh, no, I don't think it was a huge amount of funny stuff. Maybe, but it, but it wasn't anything funny. I mean, a favorite piece of trivia would be the genocide itself. <laughs> and the the, yeah. the the horrible description of what happened. I mean, it's a bit it's weird. In, it's intense, isn't it? It's, it's really it's, intense. It's intense, but that's how I imagine that. That's exactly how I imagined it would play out. Yeah, that's exactly how I imagined something like would play out. So, Deep, yeah. dark, bad, bad stuff. Um, your reading list. You know, there there are lots of there are lots of like um, different um, uh, collections of the Dark Phoenix Saga. I'm gonna really re- really recommend the Marvel's Epic Collection. Okay. Um, their epic collection, the fate of the phoenix. It's it's a little pricey. I think it comes in at forty dollars. Um, however, it contains the 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 full Dark Phoenix saga, the Hellfire Club stuff, all that, the the all the issues after, and Days of Future Past as well. Um, and it's got the un the, the Marvel published the original ending. So it's got the original ending in oh, in, in wow. that collection as well, as well as a sit down interview with Chris Clement, John Byrne, uh, editor Jim Shooter, and a bunch of the other editors on the whole debacle of what happened, the back and forth, and who thinks what was going on. It's a great, great collection, really worth the money. The art is superb, the melodrama and the and the, and the emotional stuff is great. I will warn you that if you're a new reader. And you weren't around back then. The language is dated. I think it's really i I grew up with it. So what do I know? I think there's a lot of the stuff I've read today. I, I think I think uh, Chris Kleiman excels in some of his incredible descriptions, like of that genocide. Mm. He perhaps falls down at some of the language being a little dated and stuff. But that epic collection, the fate of the Phoenix, um, is is what you should be looking out for. Um, well, thank you all for joining us on this. This um, I'm going to say this definitive Phoenix take. I don't think anyone else has put in as many episodes, as many hours, and as much work as we have, Will, into giving you guys mm. the full, full Phoenix um, story. Um, 
It's been brilliant playing around in the Marvel Animated Universe, but you know what, Will? I think it's time. I think it's time to go back to our bread and butter. (laughs) Bring out the rolls. People want. Bring out the rolls. In the next episode, we return to the MCU for our trip, our deep dive into Doctor Strange. Join us then, and don't forget. For bonus, bonus, bonus content, head over to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston, and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel vs. Marvel.